Hi, I'm Kevin Hawthorne from ConspiracyAgents.com, and you're listening to the Versus Machine Podcast, a comparison of great things. This is the Versus Machine Podcast, a comparison of great things. The Versus Machine takes on two works of art, one source material and one adaptation, and processes it through to discover the differences and similarities of the two. Whether those differences are good or bad is up to you. After all, it's what happens when you transform one medium into another. It's time to engage the Versus Machine. I'm Joseph Burge. I'm Richard Gibson. And welcome to the Versus Machine, the comparison of great things. Here at the Versus Machine, we take two works of art, one source material, one adaptation, and we run them through our machine to tell what the differences between the two are. Because the Versus Machine is all about education, education of the source material, of the adaptation, and of what happens when you change something from one medium to another. As always, we're here together to talk about a classic piece of literature versus its movie counterpart. And today we've got something really special for you. Written and released in 1884 and 1885, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn is considered to be one of the premier novels on racism. Standing at a whopping 438 pages, it explores the adventures of a young man named Huckleberry Finn and a slave named Jim as they travel down the Mississippi River to find Jim Freedom. Mark Twain is considered one of the greatest known authors of any time, although we here here at the Versus Machine want to challenge him a little bit. To battle out with this great novel, we've chosen the 1993 Disney adaptation, The Adventures of Huck Finn, starring Elijah Wood and Courtney B. Vance. But without further ado, we're going to get right into it. We're going to engage the machine. Characters. Huckleberry Finn. In the book, Huck is an uneducated but clever teenager. In the movie, Huck is a comedic seven-year-old. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure how many people who haven't actually read the book know that Huck's supposed to be 14 in the book. He's not, you know, I think they just expect him to be a child, not a teenager. And that really does change uh, the tone of the book and of the story as a whole if he's, you know, half the age that he's supposed to be. Because when he's 14, you expect him to to know more than he does, to be a little more educated than he is, and to also just kind of know how the world works a little bit better than he does. Not only is he uneducated, sometimes he just doesn't seem to, like he's somehow been, he's just kind of naive. He doesn't really know how the world around him works, which is surprising, because usually people are either educated and don't know how the real world works, or the other way around, and he's somehow missed both of those boats. The education boat was his own choice he's constantly fighting against that but nevertheless he's not unintelligent he's very clever he works up schemes and lies and tricks and stuff all the time to get him usually into but also out of most any situation that he comes across in the movie he's of course played by elijah wood a young elijah wood far before the lord of the rings trilogy elijah a lot of people don't know that early on in his career Elijah Wood made a pretty big name for himself acting in a lot of classic literature movies. He was also Oliver and Oliver Twist, uh, another adaptation by the same director. Where It's not necessarily Elijah Wood's fault. However, they casted him at such a young age into this role that you kind of feel like Huck 
isn't really sure what's going on 90% of the time. And the 10% of the time he does know what's going on. It's kind of like fumbling his way through. For instance, it was a big deal for me uh, when he's being held by his father and he has the gun from his father and he shoots the gun and then his father wakes up and asks him what happened and he said some man broke in to try to rob us and I was going to shoot at him but I missed. A child at seven probably doesn't have enough character of mind to make up a story like that as does a 14-year-old. I'm not saying a a seven-year-old in our time period definitely probably would, but back in Twain's time, I'm pretty sure a seven-year-old wouldn't be as adept at making up a story like that or know what to say to someone who's beating him every day. Right, and he I don't know if he would have been quite as willing at seven years old then or now regardless of what his dad was doing at the time to pick up a gun with the intention of shooting his own father that I, that's a very extreme thing it was honestly justified dad coming at him with a knife but i don't think a seven-year-old's gonna do that not to mention a lot of the key moments in the story where huck argues with jim about the merits of slavery you know everyone's a person those kind of things Huck kind of makes an argument that you wouldn't expect a seven-year-old to be able to make. Right. And it kind of just sets a tone for the film and for the story that doesn't fit as well as the original had intended, I think. When the movie opens and Huck's fighting with someone, I don't even really say who, and I really didn't expect that to be Huck because it was a kid. It wasn't a teenager. It was you know, became quickly apparent that it was Huck, and it was just like, this doesn't really set a good tone for what what is to come for the next, you know, 100 minutes we have here. Not to mention, one of the big problems that the movie has, I think, in tone has to do with the fact that Huck's very comedic in the movie, whereas in the book, he's not really that funny. I mean, he says kind of off-the-wall things, but they're not humorous. He's not trying to be funny, that's for sure. In the book, or in the movie, it almost seems like he's completely trying to be humorous. He says lies that don't really work ever, and it's more of a slapstick comedy than it is an actual portrayal of a clever young boy who gets himself out of trouble by lying. Right. It doesn't work nearly as well, not to mention a lot of the lies in the book that happen don't work in the movie and he for instance when he pretends to be the girl and tries to steal food the woman at the end of the scene in the book ends up pitying him and giving him food anyway in the movie gives him advice on how to better look like a girl yeah and in the movie the woman tries to beat him with a frying pan yeah and so it's 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 one of those tonal issues that it's not the same and it kind of loses a lot of sincerity in the process Jim. In the book, Jim is a superstitious and caring runaway slave. In the movie, Jim is a manipulative shaman. (laughs) Jim is one of those kind of characters where if you can't get Jim right, you're almost assuredly not going to get the entire point right. Yeah. He's a very important kind of tipping point for Huck. He's a very yep. important tipping point for most of the minor characters in the entire story, book and movie included. Yep. He's a tipping point for a lot of things. So if you don't get Jim correctly... The whole tone of the movie is going to be off. And so what the Disney version kind of did was it took Jim 
And instead of being a caring person like the Jim in the book, mm -hmm. he was more manipulative. The things he would say, oh, Mr. Huck, he's my best friend. He always keeps his promises to yeah. me. Whereas in the book, I mean, I would say it's more like, Huck, you always keep your promises to me. You've always done right by me. Right. The, the same line is in the book and the movie, but Jim's intent behind saying it is completely different. And they make that very clear in the movie in the book when he's giving that line huck is getting off of the the rafter canoe to to turn jim in because that's what huck thinks he should do jim has no idea that huck's doing anything wrong and he's like and he's being very honest when he says it he's like huck you are a good friend to me you're always doing right things by me like what you're doing right now going off to to get us some food and to find directions and whatnot you're helping me get get free you're you're a great friend you're the only one i've ever had when he says it in the movie, he knows what Huck's going to do because Huck's not as good of a liar in the movie. And Jim, you know, it. the camera's on Jim's face for a little bit and he's thinking about this. He's like, how can I get Huck to do what I want him to do? And then he gives that same line of Huck, you're my best friend to guilt Huck into not doing it. The line and the effect is the same between the book and the movie, but Jim's intent is vastly different. As you said, it changes his character, so it changes the whole tone of the story. Even more so than that, the superstitious aspect that, that Jim has really kind of changes everything. In the book, I think the superstition stands to kind of unite Jim and Huck together in a way because Jim says that he's very superstitious versus mm -hmm. Huck, who's very religious. And the superstitions sort of. that Jim has remind Huck of his religion. And so it's another way for Huck to think, well, Jim's just, you know, white on the inside, as he says, or he, you know, he's a good person because he has these superstitions that help him lead a good life. Whereas in the movie, they took that and he they turned him into basically a soothsayer. When, when you first see him, he's got yeah. candles and skulls and is reading somebody's fortune. Yeah. And so it kind of loses this whole idea that black and white, it doesn't matter. We're all people that Twain was trying to impress on the public when you take his superstition and you turn him into basically a Haitian shaman. Yeah. Again, just very different tone. And not only that, I think the relationship between Huck and Jim is greatly changed between the two because right. in the book, they're very close, but they're more like friends than anything. In the movie, they're more like people who are stuck together but are actually enemies. Yeah, they don't that's why ever... Jim has to be manipulative yeah. because he can't trust Huck to do what's in their best interest. Whereas the Jim in the book very much trusts Huck yes. throughout yep. almost the entire book, mm -hmm. and it sets this kind of tone of friendship between them. And I think losing that idea of the tone of friendship makes the theme of racism is bad kind of go away because it's, bit, it's, yeah. it's just like, oh, well, you're racist because you hate black people. And I happen to be black, so I can't trust you ever. Whereas in the book, that's something that's that Huck is struggling with the whole time. And He's I don't think he struggles with it at all in the movie. Nowhere near as much, that's for sure. And it makes that theme much less prominent, and it's a major one in the in the book. So to lose that is losing a large portion of the book, a big part of the heart of it. But we want to know what you think. Do you think that Huck and Jim are really similar to the book in the Disney movie? Do you think that Elijah Wood did just wonderful playing Huck? Head over to Facebook.com slash Versus Machine and write on our wall and let us know what you think. 
minor characters. The Duke and the King. In the book, the Duke and the King are a blight on the human race. In the movie, they are comedy relief. Huck himself actually says this when the the Duke and the King are getting into the Wilkes' house and, you know, putting up this huge show. Huck says it, it made him bad to be a part of the human race, that he was the same species as these two horrible swindlers. Well, honestly, they're not very believable to to an educated crowd, but the people that they the royalty were always talking to were uneducated, so they didn't know that his English accent was the fakest thing on earth and his, you know, etymology lesson was full of crap. They just don't know. He sounds like he knows what he's talking about, so they believe him. And that's not the case in the movie. A lot of people might question why the Duke and the King are on our minor characters list and people like, you know, the Phelps man and wife or the Wilkes sisters aren't on our list. But really, it it boils down to this. There is no greater example of why honesty is important than these two people, this old man yeah. and his counterpart that seemingly the entire time they're together do nothing but cause havoc for Jim for Huck themselves and everyone else around them. Everyone they come into contact with. It's horrible. And it even impresses that idea, back to that idea of getting rid of racism, because what ends up happening is Huck knows almost immediately that they're bad people. Yeah, and he that never, they're not royalty and that they're lying their heads off constantly. And even though he never tells Jim, and whether Jim knows or not, later on in the story, Huck tells Jim that he wants to beat up the Duke and the King because they've led, they've led them into so many bad areas so far. But Jim tells him, no, they are people just like everyone else, and we can't beat them up. And so that makes Huck think a little bit better of Jim because he's trying to say everyone is a person. Yeah. And that leads us back to that whole thing. There are really good idea of what lying does to you. And by the end of the book, you see Huck getting a little bit more aware of the fact that his clever lying kind of gets him in trouble. And eventually he's just going to lead down a road to the two of them. Yeah, and he definitely doesn't want to be like them because... You know, he doesn't want to be a blight. <laughs> Not only that, but I think a big deal with the Duke and the King is they're just an example of how evil society is. They hate Jim. Yeah. They spend the entire time there with Huck and Jim treating Jim like crap. And they Huck. end up selling him to somebody so that they, he can be sent back to his original owner, who happens to be dead, but right. Jim doesn't know that at the time. Yeah, not, none of them do. They're just a terrible example of, I think, in my opinion, they're Twain's example of what normal people during that time period are like. These are the people he's trying to advocate against. Yeah, for the sure. The Duke and the King are these normal people that he's trying to advocate against. I mean, to a certain extent, they're caricatures, so they're a little worse than I think Twain probably thought a normal person would be. Of course, yeah. But I think they are a good example of what normal people are like. And then the closest we get, because everyone else we come into contact with, to a certain extent, has something redeeming about them. Yeah. The Phelpses end up releasing Jim and giving him food for helping. Right. Uh, Mary Jane and the Wilk sisters are all very nice to Huck, even once they figure out the Duke and the King are liars. Yeah, and, Miss and Watson, they're resourceful. Miss Watson frees Jim yeah. because she's such a wonderful person. <laughs> and nobody besides Paul in the book 
is anywhere near evil. And I think yeah. these two are the examples of what a normal evil person looks like. Yeah, if we were going to have villains in this book, I mean, there's a bunch of, I guess, antagonists and a bunch of people who have issues, but the only villains are Huck's dad and the Duke and the King. They're, yeah, and they're, Huck's dad they're, is... They're screwed up. There's, there is no redeeming value about them. You're exactly right. And Huck's dad isn't so much a villain as he is an example of how basically enslaving Huck himself. So... It's this kind of idea where I think these two are the normal people example that you're just supposed to viscerally hate from the moment they come on. Yeah, there were many times in the book I was just just waiting for them to just get tarred and feathered or whatever, just get out of Huck's life. I was sick of him. Tom Sawyer. In the book, Tom Sawyer does what he wants. In the movie, Tom Sawyer is non-existent. Yeah, that that was quite shocking to me. Leaving Tom out is... A lot of people wouldn't think it was a big deal because the book is called The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. Right. And if you know anything, and I'm sure most people do, about Mark Twain or Mark Twain's writing, he also wrote a book called The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. Right. Where that was his main character was Tom Sawyer. But Tom and Huck are best friends. Huck's in the original Tom Sawyer book. Mm -hmm. He helps him find the gold and everything else. Right. So... His part that he plays in The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn is smaller. Yeah. It's not as big as it is in Tom Sawyer because it's not he's not the book's namesake or anything. Story, right. However, it's a very, very, very important role. Tom is the idea in the very beginning that leads Huck to partially run away because he gets fed up with Tom and he gets fed up with the people that Tom associates with. Yeah. In the very end, Tom shows back up, and he helps Huck release Jim, even though sort the, of. <laughs> even though the way that he does that is completely ridiculous. Uh, yeah, and he's he's a really good example of a line for Huck because Tom has completely given up on civilized life in a way, because even though he wears the clothes and he goes to school. He does whatever he wants yep. all the time. Yeah. He is the perfect example of freedom, whereas Jim is the perfect example of indentured servitude, someone who has no freedom ever. And so Huck ends up being this kind of character in the middle by the end of the book, and I think he yeah. learns that by the end of the book he needs to be in the middle. And even when he talks about going to Injun territory with Tom, yeah. He understands that he has to be that buffer for Tom to be somewhat civilized but free. Yeah, just not going off and having these ridiculous adventures for the sake of having ridiculous adventures. Huck says numerous times, I can't believe that Tom's doing this. He's civilized, he's educated, he knows better. And Huck's constantly saying, no one would blame me for doing these things because I am uncivilized, I don't know any better. But if you're saying that, you kind of do know better. But in any case... The fact that Tom does know better and is still doing it is really inexcusable that he's doing all these absurd things for the sake of doing them. Everything that Huck does wrong, all you know, the stealing, the lying, I'm not condoning it, but he is. there is a point to it. He's trying to get food so him and Jim can get down the river so that they can get Jim free, so he can buy his family back and everything. He's trying to lie to not get in trouble with the Duke and the King. Whereas Tom's lying and putting on all these shows and crap for the sake of doing it. He just wants to have an adventure. Well, we yeah, sure, we could break Jim out by just going in through the front door and just putting the chain off over the 
bed and, and running away. But where's the fun in that? We need to, you know, dig him out with spoons. We could get a shovel, but let's do spoons. And It'll be more... the house with snakes. Yeah, I mean, it's just this is how it's done in the books. So this is how you have to do it. He's he just wants to have fun in a absurd way, and it's it's largely inexcusable. Uh, to a large extent, but leaving him out is seems even more inexcusable in some certain circles because yeah. you're missing that buffer. You're missing that buffer that makes you want to like Huck Finn because Tom makes you want to like Huck Finn because he's so terrible that you kind of <laughs> want to like Huck Finn. Yeah, he's, he's such that a scoundrel. Buff- he's that buffer. And not having that buffer in the movie makes you kind of hate Huck Finn almost the entire time because he's just kind of annoying almost the entire movie. A little bit. Twain's time period. In the book, Twain is true to his time period. In the movie, we aren't sure what the time period is. As was the case with The Great Gatsby, which is a podcast that we have done in the past, and you can listen to it at versusmachine.com. Mark Twain is... He wrote this in 1884, and it's, it's set largely in that same time period. He doesn't need to exactly explain what a steamboat is what life is like on the mississippi because his audience already knew what it was so the time period is just it's very natural feeling which can sort of make it hard to get into the book if you're not very aware with what that time period was like but just a little bit of research can help you really understand the book and enjoy it a whole lot more twain's very natural about it and the movie isn't really It's kind of a big deal that we're not really sure what time period it is because there is a lot of books written in time periods where they seem out of place. They seem out of time period. F. Scott Fitzgerald wrote The Great Gatsby, and it was one of his only pieces that actually stayed true to the time period that he was in. Most of his other ones were sort of out of place of his time period and didn't really make sense. And a lot of authors have that problem where even though they're writing for a specific time period, it's not really true to their time period. But Twain was. Yep. Whatever you want to say about Twain, he was a master of being in his time period. Mm-hmm. He loved steamboats. He yep. loved the river. He loved everything about Missouri during his time period. And that's what he wrote for. Right. To take that and adapt it, you have to keep that same sentiment mm-hmm. or you lose the genuine quality of his work. You yep. lose the sincerity of his message. And we've lost so much already as we've been going through this <laughs> that to lose the sincerity of his message is kind of like a tipping point into the you don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah, there's, not, there's nothing left at this point in the movie. You've lost all this kind of sincerity in his time period, and it's really important, and especially because river life is not emphasized in the movie at all, and river life is a big deal to Twain. Mm -hmm. It's one of the biggest deals of his life. Yeah. He's quoted as loving steamboats and everything. Now, I mean, that was yeah. a, wouldn't you say that was almost his whole life? I mean, the river was almost his whole life. Yeah, the river and writing, that's what he did. And so to take away that kind of sincerity in river life is to completely miss everything about what Twain was. You can say whatever you want about racism. You can say whatever you want about honesty and family and everything else that this book talks about. If you can't even get the basic tenet of river life, you're getting nowhere. We're going to take a quick break here on the Versus Machine podcast, and we'll see you right after. It's coming. 
The 24 Podcast is jumping back into action to follow the adventures of Jack Bauer as he comes back, not for just one-hour bits, but two-hour bits, inside of Fox's 24 Live Another Day. Be sure to follow the 24 Podcast effort following the worst days of Jack Bauer over at 24podcast.com. That's 24podcast.com. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great, cost-effective on-hole message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it all out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From The Voice Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. Don't miss the next episode of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. isn't just a television show now on ABC. It's a great new podcast available at agentsofshield.tv. Only on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Looking for a straightforward user interface on a cost-effective, feature-filled, multi-track recording software? Call off the search! Mixcraft from Acoustica has exactly what you're looking for. It's time to include reliable audio creation and editing software with real punch into your projects. Check out Mixcraft now over at acoustica.com forward slash Mixcraft and start a new generation of audio creation and editing today. Are you following the following podcast? There's never been a mission more critical. Join the two guys talking following now by accessing thefollowingpodcast.com and become one of the following today. Welcome back to the Versus Machine Podcast. I'm Joseph Burge. I'm Richard Gibson. And today our subject is The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, the iconic novel by Mark Twain, versus The Adventures of Huck Finn, the not-so-iconic movie by Disney. <laughs> The river. In the book, the river stands for natural freedom. In the movie, the river is short and safe. Huck's constantly talking about how he doesn't like to be civilized, which to him uh, sometimes boils down to just wearing clothes that actually like fit him. He doesn't like really living in houses to an extent. He doesn't like beds. He just wants to be outside. And the favorite, his favorite place to be outside is on the river. In a canoe, on a raft, on a steamboat, which is kind of a civilized thing, so that's a little unusual. But either way, just on the river. He says he feels free there, it's safe, it's not cramped, and he just likes it there. It boils back to the whole idea of river life and missing what Twain thought about river life. Yeah. The movie kind of misses this whole point. Jim and Huck's journey down the river is long. Yeah. It's unsafe. Mm -hmm. There are perils left and right. Not to mention, even though Huck says it's uncivilized, it ends up being pretty civilized based on the amount of times they're not actually on the raft. They're in somebody's house or hiding out in the woods or in a shack or things like that. So it ends up being kind of a topsy-turvy idea of both, whereas in the movie, they make the journey down the river seem like it happened in 
almost 24 hours. Yeah, like three days at most. It didn't seem like they had any real perils because everything that they got into, they immediately got out of with, Mm -hmm. like, the Bugs Bunny laugh or something (laughs) like that. Like, when the lady's running after him with a frying pan, he just runs out the door while laughing. And it's all cool. It just seems like we completely missed the idea of what Twain really loved about the river. And what Twain really loved about the river was the unpredictability of it and the freedom of it. Yeah. Twain always said, well, he did, it's not an exact quote, but it seemed like he was always telling us you're never more free than when you're on the unpredictable river because it's always there. And there's always something new to see. And that's why he was fascinated by steamboats is because he loved the idea of just being on the river and the sounds of the river and being away from everyone else. And the movie just kind of makes it seem like the river is just a way to get to civilization, even in yeah. the end when Huck runs away. Yeah, that's that's all. It's just a means to an end, and that's it. And they don't spend any time on it in the movie, and they don't talk about half of the perils. I mean, there is still the um, the steamboat that hits their raft, but, but that's, the raft that's is really just it. fine five minutes later, <laughs> and it doesn't even talk yeah. about them having to fix it. Yeah, and in, I mean, in the book, you find out that it only like clipped it, just yeah. hit an edge. But in the movie, that clearly shows it plowing straight down the middle and obliterating it. But then, yeah, then they get back on it just a, the next scene so that was that was a little weird it's just another example of how we missed the mark on the idea of river life on the idea of twain's fascination with the unpredictable and just jim and huck get this sort of friendship going on the river and they yeah. bond over this idea of loving the outdoors and the river and they and, bond through all their troubles as well and taking that away just kind of i guess you could say it salts a wound because we've already opened a wound by missing so much, and we're yeah. salting the wound by uh-huh. taking out everything else. Yeah. But we want to know what you think. Was the river really important to you? Was Twain's time period just something you thought was just a part of the book? Yeah, are we blowing this way out of proportion, or are we on to something? Head on over to versusmachine.com and click the quick contact form in the top right-hand corner of the page, and let us know what you think. Themes. Racism. Racism is one of the most permeable lessons and themes in the entire book. It's one of the things that people get slapped with in the face most often. It's Mm -hmm. one of the things that have been censored about this book most often. And it's one of the things that people seem to gravitate towards in thinking about this book. Mm -hmm. It seems to be the only thing that they really take away from the book sometimes. You know, it's Huck, Jim on a raft, racism. Yeah, and if the they've word, never read it, that's all that's they all that they think it is. And not only that, but the word nigger, which we will use the N word for the rest of this review. The word the N word is so common in this book that oh, yeah. you would almost think that it was just as synonymous as the word black, as the word African American, right. as any other word, because it is that synonymous to them. Yeah. Huck doesn't think about it. He doesn't no. have a second thought about calling Jim the N-word. Mm-mm. He doesn't have a second thought about calling all of the black people he sees the N-word. Yeah. He doesn't have a second thought about the fact that all of the people he comes into contact with call Jim the N-word. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's just what it is. It's just the definite, you know, that's what Jim is. He just the n-word that's just the definition of a, of jim it's like a learned thing it's like a yeah. language learned thing where everyone around him just decides that jim is not a person right and it's a big deal and it's a big deal to twain it's obviously a big deal to twain it's throwing it in your face twain's like you're gonna read this yeah you're gonna learn about racism and you're gonna figure out why it's wrong yeah that's that's what twain 
it seems like that's what Twain wants you to believe. Mm-hmm. And the movie leaves it out. It yeah. whitewashes it completely. It goes so far as to make you feel like it doesn't even realize there's racism in the book because at the end of the book, a slave owner says, just because racism is popular doesn't mean it's right. You're a slave owner. Right. You own slaves. Yeah, so you can't say that. Well, what point does that not connect in your brain? It's almost as if Disney completely misses the entire idea mm-hmm. of racism in the book and just leaves it out. I mean, there is that the one scene at the Grangerford's place where you see the, well, you don't actually see it happens off camera, the the unnamed slave getting getting whipped, and then that happens to Jim later that day. There is that, and Huck, he recoils from that idea, oh, oh my gosh, I caused this, but that's really the only reference. But it's not so much about racism or the fact that Jim's black is that it's Jim's my friend and I got right. him hurt. Yeah. Jim's my yeah, so loosely it, it based different. enemy friend and I got him hurt. <laughs> and it's, 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 it's sad. It's sad to see that the movie didn't pick it up, but what's even more yeah. sad to me is the fact that people take this book and all they see is racism. Yeah, there they is, don't, it is an important issue, but there's way more to it. They don't see that Twain loved all parts of several lessons in this book and several mm-hmm. themes. They just see the racism. And th- to me, as controversial as it may seem, that almost makes it worse than it would be if we were still that racist. Because it's still a form of racism. If racism is all you see in a world like that, that's all that's on your mind. Yeah, yeah. There's, we should there's be, definitely issues We should be that. past a point where we can learn something more from a society like that, where than racism. We should I be hear past you. Yeah. that point. Sure, I agree. And I, to me, that's one of Twain. I think that's one of Twain's little winks to us is you have to be able to look past all of that. Say it's bad, it's terrible, but what else is there? Yeah. And it, and I think the fact that some people can't do that is sad to me. I agree. But what do you think? Have we thoroughly made you mad? Is racism the only thing in the book? We really want to know what you think. Head over to theversusmachine.com, click the icon in the top right-hand corner of the page, fill up the quick contact form, and let us know what you think. Religion. Having not fully read this book before, I was slightly of the opinion that racism was the only real theme in the book, and it surprised me how often, and to the extent to which Twain talked about religion. He wasn't really a big fan of it. He was definitely a humanist. And the the way that the reader sees religion through Huck's eyes is is very intriguing to me. And I, I would completely agree with that. I, I would go so far as to say that Twain probably... I mean, I, I don't know that much. I've never read a, a biography of Twain to know this. If you, if anyone out there knows, please contact us either theversemachine.com or on Facebook and let us know, you know, anything about Twain. But I can't say for certain I know, but I it seems to me that Twain wasn't a big fan of religion at all. That no. I would say that he was almost vehemently against it because the way he displays religion in the book kind of makes it seem evil. It kind it, of makes it, is, it seem rooted evil. Yeah, his his at least the way that Huck experiences it. It's largely negative. I don't think we especially with the Grangerfords. Yeah, I don't think we encounter anyone in the story that makes you positively 
the, the widow would be the closest, but even then she's got her issues as well. But she still believes in slavery because of her religion, so it's, right. it's still evil. Yeah. It's a learned behavior. It's almost like religion is viewed as a learned behavior as bad as racism. It seems like it's yeah. almost as bad as racism is a learned behavior. Yeah. There's there's two things that happen very significantly when Huck is with the uh, the Grangerfords that happen at the church that the Grangerfords go to. They're the the large family that's having the huge feud with the Shepherdsons. And the church service that Huck attends at the Grangerfords church, the preacher speaks about brotherly love, which is something that the Grangerfords clearly lack because they're going out shooting Shepherdsons just for the sport of it. Clearly, brotherly love something they don't have. So this the sermon's just, it's really lost. And it's a very ironic thing for the pastor to be preaching on. And he also mentions that Huck goes to the church at another time to deliver a, uh, or actually he's picking up the letter for the uh, the girl that loves one of the Shepherdsons. And when Huck goes there, there's no people, but there's a lot of pigs in the ch- in the church building because there's no lock on the door and they just walk in and you know it's cooler in there and huck says if you notice most folks don't go to church only when they've got to but a hog is different and he just leaves it at that he doesn't really delve into that huck nor twain delve into that what he's driving at there they just leave it at that a hog is different a hog I, will go to church when a hog dadgum feels like it but a person you got to drag him in there as symbolistic i think he's saying that people who go to church all the time are pigs He's yep, giving them that, a probably. kind of quality, a negative quality, saying that people who try to live religion are not exactly the nicest people. Mm-hmm. And being completely honest, people during that time period weren't the nicest people when they lived religion. We incorporated slavery and racism into religion. Something yeah, that there were definitely really, issues there. There were issues with religion in that mm-hmm. time period, and it made it seem terrible. And yeah. whether you like or hate religion... Uh, it definitely has a negative connotation and consider with the book. Yep. But the movie leaves it out completely. There is no religion in the movie. I don't, yeah, I don't remember they... him ever referencing religion. I think he references it once when he says, I'm going to hell because I'm helping you escape. Does he actually even say that in the movie? I don't remember I hearing that. I think he says it once. Maybe. Mm-hmm. At best. And yep. that's the only, at best we get that one reference. He doesn't go to the church for the sermon or to pick up the letter. He doesn't have any of these like, theological discussions with the with the the widow about you know okay well if if that's what i have to do to get to heaven i'm not really going to bother getting there so yeah the the movie doesn't really discuss that at all and that's that's a huge part of the book again another thing that's just completely missed and changes the tone of the movie nature versus nurture as we have mentioned huck refers to jim as the n-word just as if it's completely natural just like you would call a wall a wall that's just that's just what it is but he does that, I believe, only because he's actually raised that way. He kind of rebels against the idea a little bit because he does, while he's been raised to believe that black people are not fully human, he he doesn't seem to exactly accept that. He, he fights against that, especially the more time that he spends with Jim. The question you have to ask yourself, and I'm going to ask you the question, is it in our nature to be racist? Is it in our no. nature to hate other people no or is that something that we teach our kids our grandkids our children something that we've brought into today because that's what we've taught ourselves there are numerous stories of in during civil rights movement whatnot there's 
the little you know, little white boys playing with little black boy. And they, they don't, I mean, they see each other they're like, Hey, you look different. Okay. Let's go play. They don't really care. It's not a big deal. It's not a natural thing. And then their parents, you know, the, the white father drags the white boy away. You can't play with him. Well, why not? Cause he's black. And their kid's like, so what's the big deal? So, no, I do not believe that it is a natural thing at all. It's, it's more than that. And this can break down into two things that we've discussed in several podcasts. Number one, this goes right back to the idea of the American dream, which we've talked about several times. Okay. But it's a different kind of American dream. Their nature and their nurture of American dream is slavery, racism, civilization, but Huck's is completely different. Yeah. Huck rebels against every single one of these things. And we've yeah. talked a lot about nature versus nurture and what people are raised to believe and how people are crafted. We talked about the great Gatsby before yep. Gatsby was, was cultivated to believe that money and power were the only ways you could be happy. Right. The whereas you could get anything you wanted. Whereas Huck is the exact opposite. Right. Huck doesn't want either money nor power. Nope. He doesn't care about it. He gives up his money at the very beginning of the novel. Yeah. He gives it to the judge just so he simply doesn't have it anymore. He's yeah. just keeping it away from his dad. Yeah. It's very simple. It's, he gives it up like it's nothing. Huck does not care. Nope. And that's another idea where nature versus nurture comes into effect. And you have to ask yourself that simple question. That is one of the things you have to ask yourself when you read this novel. You have to ask yourself, are we created to hate others or is that something we've cultivated over time? Yeah. Because nature versus nurture and by association, the American dream is completely polar opposites in this novel. Mm -hmm. People have completely polar opposite ideas in those two. But we want to know what you think. Have we been harping on the American dream way too much lately? <laughs> Do you think nature or nurture is responsible for who we are? Are we programmed to hate? Head over to theversusmachine.com, click the button in the top right-hand corner of the page, fill out the quick contact form, and let us know what you think. Honesty. We've talked about Huck lying, and we've talked about the Duke and the King lying. We've talked about Tom lying. Pretty much everybody in this book is lying all over the place. Huck even says at the very... Jim doesn't lie. Jim did not lie to Huck once the entire book. Oh, definitely not to Huck. That's for sure. Jim did not lie once to Huck the entire book. That's true. And even though it's assumed that Jim lied to some of the people they came into contact with, mm -hmm. it's never explicitly said. That's a big difference between yeah, the movie it, I think, between I think the right. movie and the book. In the movie, you explicitly see Jim lie. You see him manipulate Huck. Right. And you see him lie. In the mm -hmm. book, we never explicitly see Jim lie, ever. He It is almost assumed that he is a pure soul because we never see him lie. We never see him lie. We never see him hurt anyone. We never see him do anything wrong except yeah, for I, run I, away. I got, I, I run away. Right. Yeah, except for that. That's, oh, boy. A, run away. That's all he does. It's the one wrong thing, right? Well, I mean, he does. And look, he is with how Huck with things, some of the stealing, but yeah. not, not really. Look how good things turn out for Jim in the end when he never lies. That's true. And look how good things turn out for Huck in the very end when he finally tells the truth. And look Honest, how well it turns out for the Duke and the King when all they have done is perpetually lie. Whether you believe that that uh, Twain was in favor of lying or against lying, <laughs> it almost seems like everything that happens in this book 
turns out better when somebody tells the truth. Right. Yeah, it is it is hard to get to understand what exactly Twain's ideas about lying are. He did actually write an essay called On the Decay of the Art of Lying. So that's it's really hard to tell what exactly he feels about it because they're while things go better for Huck when he tells the truth, nothing really bad happens when he lies. He never gets punished for it. I mean, he has to run away from people all the time and has all these escapades and whatnot, but he never exactly gets punished for it. He never gets fined. He never gets hurt directly for it. And he's, I mean, for all the bad things he does, he kind of goes scot-free. I would completely agree with you. He goes scot-free, but more than going scot-free... I don't think Huck ever actually learns a lesson not to lie. Well, why should he? It worked out for him. I think if we talk about a lesson, I don't think he ever learns not to lie. I think he learns that lying will turn out okay because what happens in the end? Aunt Polly shows up and it's like, oh, you boys. Yeah, slap on the wrist. Oh, you boys. Yeah. You know, it's it's one of those things where it never really seems to do anything. However, Disney makes lying seem terrible in the movie mm-hmm. because every time he lies, he fails. He fails right. at lying every single time. Whether Given he gets out of it or not, he yeah. fails at lying every single time. Right, which is... And Huck in... Does Huck change the, the tone again. Yeah. Huck in the book doesn't fail. Huck oh, he's book, actually a very good liar. Yeah. The few times he does slip up, he forgets his name like three different times, and it, but it only comes back to bite him once. Mm-hmm. The other times he gets out of it. Mm-hmm. Through, you know, cl- you know, silly little things. I bet you can't spell my name. And then when the guy spells it back properly, he's like, all right, my name's George Jackson when I'm here. You know, so it, it works out. Then again, given Disney's audience with this movie, it definitely makes sense that they would whitewash certain things, as you've said. Mm-hmm. And especially, <laughs> no, we don't want to make lying look like a good thing to, you know, seven-year-old children. <laughs> so I I guess I, I know where they're getting at there, but... I know why Disney did what they did, but I guess that sort of proves that maybe the story is not exactly appropriate for eight-year-old children. I mean, it's not about an eight-year-old kid, and it deals with very heavy issues like child abuse and racism and is religion does religion work? I mean, those are that's hard for an eight-year-old. That's hard for most adults to you know deal with, much less an eight-year-old. Childhood. We've we've mentioned before the in the story. Huck is 14. In the movie, he's 7 or 8. That, again, changes the tone drastically. But either way, you take a 14-year-old kid, put him on a raft with someone that they're, you know, they kind of know, with a, a runaway slave, a, in that time, a criminal, you put him on a raft for four months. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, okay, his mom, I guess, is his dad. His dad is abusive, and that's why he runs away. He has dad, his dad ends up dying. His that dad as well. ends up getting shot. Right. They find him on a raft. Right, but he Huck doesn't know that until the you know last paragraph of the book. Yeah. But it's just crazy to think that any fourteen year old could could withstand all of this. And not not to mention at the very end of the book, after he withstands all of it, he runs away again. Yeah. Or at the very least, he's planning on it. Yeah. Thinking about it. You mentioned Huck isn't. He's not a child. No, Huck's he's, not a child. He's 14, so I guess he, like, legally, technically is. And Huck, with his naivete, he is kind of mentally a child, say, but he's not doing childish things. Yeah, I would say Huck stopped being a child in Tom Sawyer. 
Probably. I would say Huck wasn't even a child in Tom Sawyer. Huck comes from a broken family. He learned everything he knew from the school of hard knocks. He pretty much lost all type of innocence in childhood. And then Twain further throws him on a raft with a runaway slave. And he floats for three and a half, four months down a ra- down the Mississippi on a raft with a runaway slave. Yep. Huck's not a kid. Huck stopped mm-hmm. being a kid a long time ago. Right. Uh, and it's... It's really telling to Twain's style and Twain's values that he took Huck's childhood away. Because in in effect, you know, Twain did not come from a broken home, if I remember, but he was a very free-range child. He He loved the river. He loved steamboats. He loved the idea of freedom. And so I think in a way Huck is what Twain wanted to be in a certain extent. He wanted to be free. Freedom it to Huck is being away from everyone else, mm-hmm. not having to wear weird clothes, go to school, and just being able to do whatever you wanted. He wore a straw hat and fished on the river with Jim. I mean, that's that's yeah. what Huck wanted to do. Yeah. And so the idea that Twain kind of thrust him into this world is a loss of childhood. And I think that's one of the underlying reasons why this book was censored so many times is parents <laughs> were afraid of children picking up on this idea of losing their childhood mm-hmm. and, and running, running away. With it. Yeah, yeah, running with it. Because uh, let's be honest, Huckleberry Finn makes the entire idea of running away from life seem like a good idea. At the very it, least, it'll be fun. It works out for him, and the yeah. movie again misses the tonal, misses a complete tonal shift because the movie makes him seem like a child. He's seven or eight years old, uh-huh. and nothing that bad happens to him. They don't even discuss no. the fact that he found his father dead on the river. Yeah, not too much. And so they completely miss that idea, and they completely miss the idea of stolen childhood, and we roll it into family values. There's a loss of family values in almost every point in this book. Yeah, especially with Huck's family. His dad's abusing him constantly. And drunk. And drunk. And he he's mad that Huck learned to read and write. It's like, you think you're better than your dad now that you learned to read and write? It's like, no one ever said that. Like, what's your deal, man? Like, why are you so... He's also mad at Huck mad for hanging this. out with Jim. He's just mad at Huck for everything. And it's just it's it's one of those things where it's it's really kind of telling to see this breakdown. The Shepherdsons and the Grangerfords. They oh, should yeah. be family. They have two people in their families that are in love. It's a Romeo and Juliet love story. The two of them are in love, they want to be together, so the family goes to war and tries to kill each other. And well does. It's a completely lo- it's a complete loss of family values. Mm-hmm. The Duke and the King, while it's never explicitly stated that they that they are somehow related or anything like that, no, they completely not. disrupt an entire family unit by pretending to be the brothers of someone that's dead and mm-hmm. stealing all of the family's money trying to fortunately they failed but yes there's a complete breakdown of family values in this book and it starts from from huck's loss of childhood it really does it all stems from it all starts from that point in the very beginning and it ends up completely convoluting everything yeah i think this all it also sort of asks the question what is family at the end of the book jim definitely considers huck to be part of his family at the very least his very closest friend so it also asks the question of what exactly is family. Lessons. 
Freedom versus civilization. We've talked about a lot uh, this idea that Huck wants to be free, mm-hmm. and Huck's idea of the American dream and of freedom is running away from civilization. I don't want to yep. wear the nice clothes. I don't want to go to school. Right. I don't want money. I just want to ru- ride on a raft down the river with a runaway slave. Yeah, fish, just chill out, you know, smoke a pipe, just... It's Take really it kind of this, I guess, jarring moment for you when you figure that out. <laughs> when you figure out that Twain put a 14-year-old child on a raft with a black man, and he considers that his idea of freedom. But it begs yeah, the at question. Least Huck does. It begs the question: What is freedom? Are the civilized people more free because they have their civilization? They can do what they want with their money, or is Huck more free because he's on a raft in the river? Fishing, Doing hunting, what he wants. You know, smoking a pipe. Which is more free? It's is a... maybe Tom Sawyer the most free one? Because he does absolutely anything he wants. He has money. He has no money. He can do whatever he wants. Yeah. And I, I I see that, and I can argue it, but I'm not really sure which one I'd choose. I'm not really <laughs> sure which one you'd consider more free because yeah. – it's definitely something that Twain is trying to make you think about. It's definitely something that is there. And I it's something that the movie also doesn't pick up on because it's so apparent that it's there that it's it's a question that Twain wants you to ask. And I don't think that most people see it, and I definitely don't think that the movie saw it. No. But it's a big question for everyone out there. What do you guys think? Are you more free when you have money and civilization and thousands of cars? <sighs> Are you more free when you're in a raft with a runaway slave on the Mississippi River smoking a pipe and fishing? We want to know what you think. Head over to versusmachine.com, click that contact button in the top right-hand corner of the page, fill out that quick web form, and let us know what you think. The value of a person. Let me ask you before we even start, what is the value of a person? I want to hear your opinion. What is the value of a person? You mean the monetary value or what they're just I, worth what to is society? A person, what is a person worth? One of my favorite lines in the book was, uh, and it was, didn't make it into the movie, was when Jim sees that he's, you know, sees these wanted posters for himself and that the reward's $800. He's like, I guess I got $800 because I own me and I'm worth $800. No, that I know that's not exactly what you're asking, but that does I think Jim does actually put more value in himself once he sees that. Once he sees that he's worth eight hundred dollars, like that's a lot of money. He's like, I was thrilled to have, you know, to get five cents. Eight hundred dollars, dang. You know, I'm rich. At the end of the book, when he gets forty dollars, he's, you know, rejoicing at Huck. I've got forty dollars, I'm rich. So that eight hundred dollars, I mean, that's that's a big thing. But, you know, is that the value of a human? That it is. Okay, so they would, you know, there's a reward for returning the slave of $800. Yeah. What would the reward have been for returning Huck? Would there have been one? I think it's an important question. It's an important question. And it, I'll answer the question for myself. The value of a person is, not to sound cliche, but it's priceless. But you ask the question, what is the value of a person? You have to ask yourself that question when you read this book because you have two standards of the value of a person. The value of a person can be nothing because slaves aren't people. Right. Or it can be something because you're white and you are a person. Or 
the value of a slave can be monetary because they're property. What mm -hmm. is the value of a person to you? Is it right? Is it wrong? Is it the right way or the wrong way to think about it? You have to ask yourself, what is the value of a person? And what is the value that Twain thought people had? Because obviously, you know, we've talked a lot about whitewashing. The movie doesn't really d encroach the idea of what is the value of person. But in the book, Huck spends almost half the time thinking, what is the value of a person? Yeah, mostly in connection with Jim. But yeah, he does spend a lot of time with that. He, wrestling with the issue, is Jim fully human? Is is Jim on the same level as He's white people? He's got white inside of him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just those kinds of, of questions. Huck's, Huck is wrestling with this issue, and he do, he comes to grips with it in regards to the the Duke and the King. When he tells Jim, yeah, these guys are horrible people, but they're royalty. All royalty are, are terrible people. They do these kinds of things, just screwing with people endlessly. That's what they do, so we need to make allowances for them. And, I mean, Huck definitely puts value on, on human lives because he the feud between the Grangerfords and the Shepherdsons, any of those deaths are, are a huge deal to him, even of the people that he doesn't know, especially of Buck. Once he sees Buck is dead, that just that crushes him. Huck puts a great value on human life and even on Jim before he fully accepts Jim as being completely human peace between neighbors and family I don't want to spend too much time on this because we've gone over the idea of loving people for people and we just went over the value of a person mm -hmm. and the idea of having friends and neighbors and family but Twain obviously was in favor of peace because no one who commits war in this book seems to turn out okay. Yeah, there's anybody who's, I'm just going to use the term, attacking anyone else. It doesn't turn out well for them. For Huck's dad, um, for the Duke and the King, for the, the Shepherdsons and, and, and the Grangerfords, I mean, half of them end up dead. It's, when, yeah, when the Duke strangles Huck almost immediately after that, they get found out. Right. I mean, the majority of the relationships in the book are not really very good ones. Between Huck and Jim, that's really the best one. And even that has some issues because Huck doesn't see Jim as a complete human, at least not for the majority of the book. But there's just so many different broken relationships. The book does, through negative examples, does advocate being at peace with those around you. And it's an important lesson. Yep. And I think it's the only lesson the movie got correct is that anyone who commits acts of violence ends up in a bad place. Yep. Because it's the only one I think the movie gets right. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's to Disney's credit, at least a little bit, it doesn't bring <laughs> them back out of the red, but it's, no. still, it's still to their credit that they understand that Twain obviously was in favor of a peaceful, free life. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to give credit where credit's due, and that's where it is. Yep. But even more than that, Peace is important to everyone out there. Yeah. You, you've got nothing if you can't have peace between your neighbors and your friends. Yeah. You, 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 and in your family. Yeah. That was also a big part of it. You, you have nothing. If you can't be peaceful and love each other, I don't know where you are. <laughs> Deception as an art form. <laughs> yeah, that other essay that Twain wrote that I mentioned earlier... On the decay of the art of lying, he definitely did see it as an art form, and Huck, both Tom and Huck, are very good at it. 
and as are the Duke and the King. We've mentioned I don't really know how Twain felt about lying. I definitely think it's wrong, but it is undeniably an art form. If you're no good at it, it's it's just going to you'll be found out immediately and it's a waste of time. But you know, I guess if you're going to do it, you may as well do it well. <laughs> it's a little bit deeper than that for of course. me. And I'm not saying it's right or it's wrong. I mean, white lies have their place. I'm not going to say they don't. White lies have their place. However, mm-hmm. Twain gives you this picture of lying that's different than a lot of authors. Mm-hmm. And that is whenever Huck lies, he's lying to further a good objective, it seems like. Yeah. He's lying to get him and his friends out of trouble. To get them he's, food. He's lying to get Jim and him food. Mm-hmm. He's lying to keep Jim safe. Yeah. He's lying to get rid of the king and the duke. <laughs> He's lying to do these things that further a better purpose. Right. And so it's almost in this in this way that Twain is advocating the idea of white lying. Yeah. And I'm he not. Do, it s- does seem to be that he is advocating that. And I'm not going to say that white lies don't have their place, but I'm not sure that I agree with it to the extent of Twain. Right. Yeah. Definitely to the extent presented in the book. Because Twain almost makes it seem like lying's fine as long as there's a reason. Right. And that's that's a really strange thing to think. Right. Yeah, there's a big difference between the lies that Huck tells and the lies that Tom tells. Tom's doing it just to have fun. Huck's doing it to, as you said, for a good cause. I don't really think either of them are okay, but it does seem like Twain thinks the white lies are cool. Whitewashing. We've said a lot about whitewashing in the podcast, and to explain to you exactly what whitewashing is, it's the idea of taking something that has a lot of depth and a lot of controversy, negative connotations, and taking them all out. You're taking all of the bad stuff out and trying to make something seem better than it is. Yeah, making it easier to swallow. A lot of people have accused Disney of whitewashing everything, but Disney's not the only one. We've had several podcasts, which you can all listen to at theversusmachine.com, where we've talked about the ways that adaptations take out negative things and try to make them sound better. Whitewashing is a commonplace practice, and you've heard me on my soapbox tell you that it's wrong, and I'm still going to tell you that it's wrong here. We cannot protect everyone from everything we deem to be bad Mm -hmm. it's not a good idea it's a terrible idea you're taking out all the lessons you're taking out all the discovery of life by whitewashing everything in the middle right i don't want to give you know when you're when a relative dies and your 14 year old asks you about death you don't say they went to sleep for a long time and we buried them in the ground. Yeah, that that's weird. It's weird. It's weird to whitewash things for people. Because it's also a kind of lying. Yeah, uh-huh. and we just got through saying that lying isn't a good thing, and if you, yeah. I'm sure most of you agree out there lying isn't a good thing. We shouldn't lie to people, yeah. and we can't whitewash the world away because the world is there. Right, and if you're going to discuss certain issues... Honestly, through through books, it's a very safe way to do it because you can see the issue of racism without being the subject of it. So there's no point to whitewash these things because you're going to encounter these issues with racism and religion and family. So you may as well experience it 
and be able to talk about it through the medium of, of these stories. That's half the reason they're written anyway. So you whitewash it, there's no point anymore. It's just like it. It's not like Twain wrote a part in the book that you would had to represent in the movie where Huck looks directly into the camera, says, you're all N-words, and points. There's nothing in there that is that bad that we need to take it out. Right. Nothing. Trust is a two-edged sword. I think through our discussion of this, this was one of the most interesting things that we kind of stumbled upon, I'm going to say. There's so much lying that happens in this book, and there is, there's even more trusting. There's people who, that trust the liars, and there's people who trust those who are telling the truth. The Wilkes are probably the biggest example of this because they almost implicitly trust the Duke and the King, who were lying with everything they say. But they also trust... Uh, it's Mary Jane, the oldest one, who trusts uh, Huck when he does finally tell her the truth. It's just interesting the troubles that, that trust gets the characters in the book into. Because they, they trust the wrong people and it gets them into trouble. They trust the right people and it gets them out of the trouble. I think that this is a good place for one of our last areas of conversation because trust is a two-edged sword in this in this book trust is a two-edged sword in life yeah you see continuously people trusting jim trusts huck not to turn him in mm-hmm. even though huck, huck was going to huck completely uh, uh plans to turn him in he was going to take him to the town yeah and turn him in and let him go back yeah but jim still trusts him and Huck eventually earns his trust. Right. Uh, but even so, sometimes when you trust, it doesn't turn out well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the play that the king and the duke put on, the royal nonsuch, the people of that town trusted the king and the duke to put mm-hmm. on a play, when in reality all they were doing was stealing all their money and running away. Right. And then all the people duped the the rest of the townsfolk so that the original viewers of the royal nonsuch wouldn't feel like idiots. Yeah. So there's so there's more lying going on. And so trust is this kind of two-edged sword in this book because in some ways you get a good way that you get the edge of the sword. You get the good edge of the sword where Mm -hmm. something good happens. Or you get the bad edge of the sword where something bad happens. You have your whole inheritance stolen from you almost. And in life, we want to impart on on everyone that in life it's like that too. You need to be careful who you trust. You have to be careful who you trust, but we want to make sure that you understand you have to trust some people. Yeah. You can't be closed off in life and not trust anyone. You can't be closed off in life and miss all the experiences of life because you're too afraid to trust someone because you think they're going to do you wrong. Yeah. Trust is a two-edged sword. It has been. It always will be. Richard and I have been friends for over 20 years now, and I would say that we trust each other fairly well, but that doesn't mean anything if I can't trust that Richard's going to do me right at least some of the time, <laughs> people inherently want companionship. That's a you know a nature versus nurture again. That's nature of our lives. We yeah. we want companionship, so we need to trust each other in order to get companionship. It's going to unravel society if we all start running around pointing fingers at each other and saying that we're all going to hurt each other. Yeah, and if you don't trust anybody. And I think that's what makes this story so iconic in a way, not just the racism, but the idea of you can earn somebody's trust even if originally you're not earning it. Yeah. 
Huck didn't originally earn Jim's trust because he was going to turn him in. Right. Jim trusted him anyway, even though he shouldn't have at that point. But eventually Huck earned Jim's trust. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to reach out and give other people the chance to earn our trust. And I think that's also part of Twain's message is to reach out to people and give them the chance to do right by you. And that does it for us here at the Versus Machine podcast. We've run these two items through pretty well, huh, Richard? I think so. And we do want to mention that while the movie doesn't seem to get any of the points of the book, if you have kids that are really young, they may enjoy the movie. So yeah. there is something to be said for having having a movie that is enjoyable. Yeah. So there is that. But we want to make sure that you know to take away all of what we said here and let us know what you think by heading over to versusmachine.com, clicking that contact button in the right, right top-hand corner of the page, filling out the web form, and letting us know what you think because we always want your feedback. I'm Joseph Burge. I'm Richard Gibson. And that does it for this edition of the Versus Machine Podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Versus Machine Podcast on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Be sure to like us on Facebook and share your thoughts on this and other episodes inside our online archive of programs that span a wide variety of genres. It's all about comparison, and we want to know what you think. The links to do all of this and show notes for this episode are available at versusmachinepodcast.com. That's versusmachinepodcast.com. Thank you for listening and provide us with your thoughts and contrasting opinions to keep the gears of the Versus Machine running. Power down. Hi, I'm Kevin Hawthorne from conspiracyagents.com. And you're listening to the Versus Machine Podcast, a comparison of great things. This is the Versus Machine Podcast, a comparison of great things. The Versus Machine takes on two works of art, one source material and one adaptation, and processes it through to discover the differences and similarities of the two. Whether those differences are good or bad is up to you. After all, it's what happens when you transform one medium into another. It's time to engage the Versus Machine. I'm Joseph Burge. I'm Richard Gibson. And welcome to the Versus Machine, the comparison of great things. Here at the Versus Machine, we take two works of art, one source material, one adaptation, and we run them through our machine to tell what the differences between the two are. Because the Versus Machine is all about education, education of the source material, of the adaptation, and of what happens when you change something from one medium to another. As always, we're here together to talk about a classic piece of literature versus its movie counterpart. And today we've got something really special for you. Written and released in 1884 and 1885, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn is considered to be one of the premier novels on racism. Standing at a whopping 438 pages, it, ex it explores the adventures of a young man named Huckleberry Finn and a slave named Jim as they travel down the Mississippi River to find Jim Freedom. Mark Twain is considered one of the greatest known authors of any time, although we here American ones. Mm -hmm, although we here at the Versus Machine want to challenge him a little bit to battle out with this great novel. We've chosen the 1993 Disney adaptation, The Adventures of Huck Finn, starring Elijah Wood and Courtney B. Vance. Yeah. 
But without further ado, we're going to get right into it. We're going to engage the machine. Characters. Huckleberry Finn. In the book, Huck is an uneducated but clever teenager. In the movie, Huck is a comedic seven-year-old. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure how many people who haven't actually read the book know that Huck's supposed to be 14 in the book. He's not, you know, I think they just expect him to be a child, not a teenager. And that really does change uh, the tone of the book and of the story as a whole if he's, you know, half the age that he's supposed to be. Because when he's 14, you expect him to to know more than he does, to be a little more educated than he is, and to also just kind of know how the world works a little bit better than he does. Not only is he uneducated, sometimes he just doesn't seem to... Like, he's somehow been... He's just kind of naive. He doesn't really know how the world around him works, which is surprising, because usually people are either educated and don't know how the real world works, or the other way around, and he's somehow missed both of those boats. The education boat was his own choice. He's constantly fighting against that, but... Nevertheless, he's not unintelligent. He's very clever. He works up schemes and lies and tricks and stuff all the time to get him usually into, but also out of, most any situation that he comes across. In the movie, he's, of course, played by Elijah Wood, a young Elijah Wood, far before the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Yep. Elijah, A lot of people don't know that early on in his career... Elijah Wood made a pretty big name for himself acting in a lot of classic literature movies. He was also Oliver and Oliver Twist, uh, another adaptation by the same director. Where It's not necessarily Elijah Wood's fault. However, they casted him at such a young age into this role that you kind of feel like Huck isn't really sure what's going on 90% of the time. And the 10% of the time he does know what's going on. It's kind of like fumbling his way through. For instance, it was a big deal for me uh, when he's being held by his father and he has the gun from his father and he shoots the gun and then his father wakes up and asks him what happened and he said some man broke in to try to rob us and I was going to shoot at him but I missed. A child at seven probably doesn't have enough character of mind to make up a story like that as does a 14-year-old. Right, I'm not saying spot, a, se- yeah. a seven-year-old in our time period definitely probably would, but back in Twain's time, I'm pretty sure a seven-year-old wouldn't be as adept at making up a story like that or know what to say to someone who's beating him every day. Right, and he I don't know if he would have been quite as willing at seven years old then or now regardless of what his dad was doing at the time, to pick up a gun with the intention of shooting his own father. that I, That's a very extreme thing. It was honestly justified, dad coming at him with a knife, but I don't think a seven-year-old's going to do that. Not to mention a lot of the key moments in the story where Huck argues with Jim about the merits of slavery, you know, everyone's a person, those kind of things. Huck kind of makes an argument that you wouldn't expect a seven-year-old to be able to make. Right. And it kind of just sets a tone for the film and for the story that doesn't fit as well as the original had intended, I think. When the movie opens and Huck's fighting with someone, I don't even really say who, and I really didn't expect that to be Huck because it was a kid. It wasn't a teenager. It was... You know, became quickly apparent that it was Huck, and it was just like this doesn't really set a good tone for what what is to come for the next you know hundred minutes we have here. Not to mention one of the big problems that the movie has, I think, in tone has to do with the fact that Huck's very comedic 
in the movie, whereas in the book, he's not really that funny. I mean, he says no. kind of off-the-wall things, but they're bit. not humorous. He's not trying to be funny, that's for sure. In the book, or in the movie, it almost seems like he's completely trying to be humorous. He says lies that don't really work ever, and it's more of a slapstick comedy than it is an actual portrayal of a clever young boy who gets himself out of trouble by lying. Right. It doesn't work nearly as well. Not to mention, a lot of the lies in the book that happen don't work in the movie. And he, for instance, when he pretends to be the girl and tries to steal food, the woman at the end of the scene in the book ends up pitying him and giving right. him food anyway. In the and movie, gives she... him advice on how to better look like a girl. Yeah. And in the movie, the woman tries to beat him with a frying pan. Yeah. And so it's 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 different. one of those tonal issues that it's not the same. And it kind of loses a lot of sincerity in the process. Jim. In the book, Jim is a superstitious and caring runaway slave. In the movie, Jim is a manipulative shaman. <laughs> Jim is oh one of gosh. those kind of characters where if you can't get Jim right, you're almost assuredly not going to get the entire point right. Yeah, He's a very important kind of tipping point for Huck. He's a very yep. important tipping point for most of the minor characters in the entire story, book and movie included. Yep. He's a tipping point for a lot of things. So if you don't get Jim correctly... The whole tone of the movie is going to be off. And so what the Disney version kind of did was it took Jim... And instead of being a caring person like the Jim in the book, mm -hmm. he was more manipulative. The things he would say, oh, Mr. Huck, he's my best friend. He always keeps his promises to yeah. me. Whereas in the book, I mean, I would say it's more like, Huck, you always keep your promises to me. You've always done right by me. Right. The, the same line is in the book and the movie, but Jim's intent behind saying it is completely different. And they make that very clear. In the movie. In the book, when he's giving that line, Huck is getting off of the, the rafter canoe to to turn Jim in. Because that's what Huck thinks he should do. Jim has no idea that Huck's doing anything wrong. And he's like, and he's being very honest when he says it. He's like, Huck, you are a good friend to me. You're always doing right things by me. Like what you're doing right now. Going off to, to get us some food and to find directions and whatnot. You're helping me get get free. You're You're a great friend. You're the only one I've ever had. When he says it in the movie, he knows what Huck's going to do because Huck's not as good of a liar in the movie. And Jim, you know, it. the camera's on Jim's face for a little bit and he's thinking about this. He's like, how can I get Huck to do what I want him to do? And then he gives that same line of Huck, you're my best friend to guilt Huck into not doing it. The line and the effect is the same between the book and the movie, but Jim's intent is vastly different. As you said, it changes his character, so it changes the whole tone of the story. Even more so than that, the superstitious aspect that, that Jim has really kind of changes everything. In the book, I think the superstition stands to kind of unite Jim and Huck together in a way because Jim says that he's very superstitious versus mm -hmm. Huck, who's very religious. And the superstitions sort of. that Jim has remind Huck of his religion. And so it's another way for Huck to think, well, Jim's just, you know, white on the inside, as he says, or he, you know, he's a good person because he has these superstitions that help him lead a good life. Whereas in the movie, they took that and he they turned him into basically a soothsayer. When, when you first see him, he's got yeah. candles and skulls and is reading somebody's fortune. Yeah. And so it kind of loses this whole idea that 
black and white, it doesn't matter, we're all people that Twain was trying to impress on the public when you take his superstition and you turn him into basically a Haitian shaman. Yeah. Again, just very different tone. And not only that, I think the relationship between Huck and Jim is greatly changed between the two because in the book, they're very close, but they're more like friends than anything. In the movie, they're more like people who are stuck together but are actually enemies. Yeah, that's why Jim has to be manipulative because he can't trust Huck to do what's in their best interest. Whereas the Jim in the book very much trusts Huck throughout almost the entire book, Mm -hmm. and it sets this kind of tone of friendship between them. And I think losing that idea of the tone of friendship makes the theme of racism is bad kind of go away because it's, bit, it's, yeah. it's just like oh well you're racist because you hate black people and i happen to be black so i can't trust you ever whereas in the book that's something that's that huck is struggling with the whole time and He's, i don't think he struggles with it at all in the movie nowhere near as much that's for sure and it makes that theme much less prominent and it's a major one in the in the book so to lose that is losing a large portion of the book, a big part of the heart of it. But we want to know what you think. Do you think that Huck and Jim are really similar to the book in the Disney movie? Do you think that Elijah Wood did just wonderful playing Huck? Head over to facebook.com slash versus machine and write on our wall and let us know what you think. Minor characters. The Duke and the King. In the book, the Duke and the King are a blight on the human race. In the movie, they are comedy relief. Huck himself actually says this when the the Duke and the King are getting into the Wilkes' house and, you know, putting up this huge show. Huck says it, it made him bad to be a part of the human race, that he was the same species as these two horrible swindlers. Well, honestly, they're not very believable to, to an educated crowd, but... The people that they, the royalty were always talking to were uneducated, so they didn't know that his English accent was the fakest thing on earth and his, you know, etymology lesson was full of crap. They just don't know. He sounds like he knows what he's talking about, so they believe him. And that's not the case in the movie. A lot of people might question why the Duke and the King are on our minor characters lists and people like, you know, the Phelps man and wife or the Wilkes sisters aren't on our list, but. Really, it it boils down to this. There is no greater example of why honesty is important than these two people, this old man yeah. and his counterpart, that seemingly the entire time they're together do nothing but cause havoc for Jim, for Huck themselves, and everyone else around them. Everyone they come into contact with. It's horrible. And it even impresses that idea, back to that idea of getting rid of racism, because... What ends up happening is Huck knows almost immediately that they're bad people. Yeah, and he that never, they're not royalty and that they're lying their heads off constantly. And even though he never tells Jim, and whether Jim knows or not, later on in the story, Huck tells Jim that he wants to beat up the Duke and the King because they've led, they've led them into so many bad areas so far. But Jim tells him, no, they are people just like everyone else, and we can't beat them up. And so that makes Huck think a little bit better of Jim because he's trying to say everyone is a person. And that leads us back to that whole thing. They're a really good idea of what 
lying does to you. And by the end of the book, you see Huck getting a little bit more aware of the fact that his clever lying kind of gets him in trouble. And eventually he's just going to lead down a road to the two of them. Yeah, and he definitely doesn't want to be like them because, you know, he doesn't want to be a blight. (laughs) Not only that, but I think a big deal with the Duke and the King is they're just an example of how evil society is. They hate Jim. They spend the entire time they're with Huck and Jim treating Jim like crap. They end up selling him to somebody so that he can be sent back to his original owner, who happens to be dead, but Jim doesn't know that at the time. Yeah, none of them do. They're just a terrible example of, I think, in my opinion, they're Twain's example of what normal people during that time period are like. These are the people he's trying to advocate against. Yeah, for the sure. The Duke and the King are these normal people that he's trying to advocate against. I mean, to a certain extent, they're caricatures, so they're a little worse than I think Twain probably thought a normal person would be. Of course, yeah. But I think they are a good example of what normal people are like, and they're the closest we get because everyone else we come into contact with, to a certain extent, has something redeeming about them. Yeah. The Phelpses end up releasing Jim and giving him food for helping. Right. Uh, Mary Jane and the Wilkes sisters are all very nice to Huck, even once they figure out the Duke and the King are liars. Yeah, and, Miss and Watson, they're resourceful. Miss Watson frees Jim yeah. because she's such a wonderful person. <laughs> and nobody besides Paul in the book is anywhere near evil. And I think yeah. these two are the examples of what a normal evil person looks like. Yeah, if we were going to have villains in this book, I mean, there's a bunch of, I guess, antagonists and a bunch of people who have issues, but the only villains are Huck's dad and the Duke and the King. They're, yeah, and they're, Huck's dad they're, is... They're screwed up. There's, there is no redeeming value about them. You're exactly right. And Huck's dad isn't so much a villain as he is an example of how basically enslaving Huck himself. So... It's this kind of idea where I think these two are the normal people example that you're just supposed to viscerally hate from the moment they come on. Yeah, there were many times in the book I was just just waiting for them to just get tarred and feathered or whatever, just get out of the Huck's life. I'm sick of them. Tom Sawyer. In the book, Tom Sawyer does what he wants. In the movie, Tom Sawyer is non-existent. Yeah, that that was quite shocking to me. Leaving Tom out is... A lot of people wouldn't think it was a big deal because the book is called The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. Right. And if you know anything, and I'm sure most people do, about Mark Twain or Mark Twain's writing, he also wrote a book called The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. Right. Where that was his main character was Tom Sawyer. But Tom and Huck are best friends. Huck's in the original Tom Sawyer book. Mm-hmm. He helps him find the gold and everything else. Right. So... His part that he plays in The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn is smaller. Yeah. It's not as big as it is in Tom Sawyer because it's not he's not the book's namesake or anything. Story, right. However, it's a very, very, very important role. Tom is the idea in the very beginning that leads Huck to partially run away because he gets fed up with Tom and he gets fed up with the people that Tom associates with. Yeah. In the very end, Tom shows back up, and he helps Huck release Jim, even though sort the, of. <laughs> even though the way that he does that is completely ridiculous. Uh, yeah, and he's he's a really good example of a line for Huck because Tom has completely given up on civilized life in a way, because even though he wears the clothes, and he goes to school, 
Mm-hmm. He does whatever he wants yep. all the time. Yeah. He is the perfect example of freedom, whereas Jim is the perfect example of indentured servitude, someone who has no freedom ever. And so Huck ends up being this kind of character in the middle by the end of the book, and I think he yeah. learns that by the end of the book he needs to be in the middle. <laughs> and even when he talks about going to engine territory with Tom— yeah. He understands that he has to be that buffer for Tom to be somewhat civilized but free. Yeah, just not going off and having these ridiculous adventures for the sake of having ridiculous adventures. Huck says numerous times, I can't believe that Tom's doing this. He's civilized, he's educated, he knows better. And Huck's constantly saying, no one would blame me for doing these things because I am uncivilized, I don't know any better. But if you're saying that, you kind of do know better. But in any case... The fact that Tom does know better and is still doing it is really inexcusable that he's doing all these absurd things for the sake of doing them. Everything that Huck does wrong, all you know, the stealing, the lying, I'm not condoning it, but he is. there is a point to it. He's trying to get food so him and Jim can get down the river so that they can get Jim free, so he can buy his family back and everything. He's trying to lie to not get in trouble with the Duke and the King. Whereas Tom's lying and putting on all these shows and crap for the sake of doing it. He just wants to have an adventure. Well, we, yeah, sure, we could break Jim out by just going in through the front door and just putting the chain off over the bed and and running away. But where's the fun in that? We need to, you know, dig him out with spoons. We could get a shovel, but let's do spoons. It'll infest the house with snakes. Yeah, I mean, it's just, this is how it's done in the books, so this is how you have to do it. He's, he just wants to have fun in a, absurd way and it's it's largely inexcusable uh, to a large extent but leaving him out is seems even more inexcusable in some <laughs> certain circles because yeah. you're missing that buffer you're missing that buffer that makes you want to like huck finn because tom makes you want to like huck finn because he's so terrible that you kind of <laughs> want to like huck finn yeah he's, he's that scoundrel buff- he's that buffer And not having that buffer in the movie makes you kind of hate Huck Finn almost the entire time because he's just kind of annoying almost the entire movie. A little bit. Twain's time period. In the book, Twain is true to his time period. In the movie, we aren't sure what the time period is. As was the case with The Great Gatsby, which is a podcast that we have done in the past, and you can listen to it at versusmachine.com. Mark Twain is... He wrote this in 1884, and it's it's set largely in that same time period. He doesn't need to exactly explain what a steamboat is, what it, life is like on the Mississippi, because his audience already knew what it was. So the time period is just, it's very natural feeling, which can sort of make it hard to get into the book if you're not very aware with what that time period was like. But just a little bit of research can help you really understand the book and enjoy it a whole lot more. Twain's very natural about it, and the movie isn't really. It's kind of a big deal that we're not really sure what time period it is because there is a lot of books written in time periods where they seem out of place, they seem out of time period. F. Scott Fitzgerald wrote The Great Gatsby, and it was one of his only pieces that actually stayed true to the time period that he was in. Most of his other ones 
were sort of out of place of his time period and didn't really make sense. And a lot of authors have that problem where even though they're writing for a specific time period, it's not really true to their time period. But Twain was. Yep. Whatever you want to say about Twain, he was a master of being in his time period. Mm-hmm. He loved steamboats. He yeah. loved the river. He loved everything about Missouri during his time period. And that's what he wrote for. Right. To take that and adapt it, you have to keep that same sentiment mm-hmm. or you lose the genuine quality of his work. You yeah. lose the sincerity of his message. And we've lost so much already as we've been going through this <laughs> that to lose the sincerity of his message is kind of like a tipping point into the you don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah, anymore. there's not there's nothing left at this point in the movie. You've lost all this kind of sincerity in his time period. And it's really important. And especially because river life is not emphasized in the movie at all. And no. river life is a big deal to Twain. Mm-hmm. It's one of the biggest deals of his life. Yeah. He's quoted as loving steamboats and everything. Now, I mean, that was yeah. um, wouldn't you say that was almost his whole life? I mean, the river was almost his whole life. Yeah, the river and riding, that's what he did. And so to take away that kind of sincerity in river life is to completely miss everything about what Twain was. You can say whatever you want about racism. You can say whatever you want about honesty and family and everything else that this book talks about. If you can't even get the basic tenet of river life... You're getting nowhere. We're going to take a quick break here on the Versus Machine podcast, and we'll see you right after. It's coming. The 24 podcast is jumping back into action to follow the adventures of Jack Bauer as he comes back, not for just one-hour bits, but two-hour bits, inside of Fox's 24 Live Another Day. Be sure to follow the 24 podcast effort following the worst days of Jack Bauer over at 24podcast.com. That's 24podcast.com. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great, cost-effective on-hole message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it all out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From The Voice Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. Don't miss the next episode of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. isn't just a television show now on ABC. It's a great new podcast available at agentsofshield.tv. Only on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Looking for a straightforward user interface on a cost-effective, feature-filled, multi-track recording software? Call off the search! Mixcraft from Acoustica has exactly what you're looking for. It's time to include reliable audio creation and editing software with real punch into your projects. Check out Mixcraft now over at acoustica.com forward slash Mixcraft and start a new generation of audio creation and editing today. Are you following the following podcast? There's never been a mission more critical. Join the two guys talking following now by accessing thefollowingpodcast.com and become one of the following today.
Welcome back to the Versus Machine Podcast. I'm Joseph Burge. I'm Richard Gibson. And today our subject is The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, the iconic novel by Mark Twain, versus The Adventures of Huck Finn, the not-so-iconic movie by Disney. (laughs) The River. In the book, the river stands for natural freedom. In the movie, the river is short and safe. Huck's constantly talking about how he doesn't like to be civilized, which to him uh, sometimes boils down to just wearing clothes that actually like fit him. He doesn't like really living in houses to an extent. He doesn't like beds. He just wants to be outside. And the favorite, his favorite place to be outside is on the river, in a canoe, on a raft, on a steamboat, which is kind of a civilized thing, so that's a little unusual. But either way, just... On the river. He says he feels free there, it's safe, it's not cramped, and he just likes it there. It boils back to the whole idea of river life and missing what Twain thought about river life. Yeah. The movie kind of misses this whole point. Jim and Huck's journey down the river is long. Yeah. It's unsafe. Mm-hmm. There are perils left and right. Not to mention, even though Huck says it's uncivilized, it ends up being pretty civilized Based on the amount of times they're not actually on the raft, they're in somebody's house or hiding out in the woods or in a shack or things like that. So it ends up being kind of a topsy-turvy idea of both, whereas in the movie, they make the journey down the river seem like it happened in almost 24 hours. Yeah, like three days at most. It didn't seem like they had any real perils because everything that they got into, they immediately got out of with Mm -hmm. like the Bugs Bunny laugh or something (laughs) like that. Like when the lady's running after him with a frying pan, he just runs out the door while laughing. And it's all cool. It just seems like we completely missed the idea of what Twain really loved about the river. And what Twain really loved about the river was the unpredictability of it and the freedom of it. Twain always said, well, it's not an exact quote, but it seemed like he was always telling us you're never more free than when you're on the unpredictable river because it's always there and there's always something new to see and that's why he was fascinated by steamboats is because he loved the idea of just being on the river and the sounds of the river and being away from everyone else and the movie just kind of makes it seem like the river is just a way to get to civilization even in the end when huck runs away yeah that's that's all it's just a means to an end and that's it and they don't spend any time on it in the movie and they don't talk about half of the perils. I mean, there is still the um, the steamboat that hits their raft. But, but that's, the raft that's is really just it. fine five minutes later. <laughs> and it doesn't even talk yeah. about them having to fix it. Yeah, and in, I mean, in the book, you find out that it only, like, clipped it. Just yeah. hit an edge. But in the movie, it clearly shows it plowing straight down the middle and obliterating it. But then, yeah, then they get back on it just the next scene so that was that was a little weird it's just another example of how we missed the mark on the idea of river life on the idea of twain's fascination with the unpredictable and just jim and huck get this sort of friendship going on the river and they bond over this idea of loving the outdoors and the river and they bond through all their troubles as well and taking that away just kind of i guess you could say it salts a wound because we've already opened a wound by missing so much, and we're yeah. salting the wound by uh-huh. taking out everything else. Yeah. But we want to know what you think. Was the river really important to you? Was Twain's time period just something you thought was just a part of the book? Yeah, are we blowing this way out of proportion, or are we on to something? Head on over to versusmachine.com and click the quick contact form in the top right-hand corner of the page and let us know what you think. 
things. Racism. Racism is one of the most permeable lessons and themes in the entire book. It's one of the things that people get slapped with in the face most often. It's mm-hmm. one of the things that have been censored about this book most yeah. often. And it's one of the things that people seem to gravitate towards in thinking about this book. Mm-hmm. It seems to be the only thing that they really take away from the book sometimes. Yeah. You know, it's Huck, Jim on a raft, racism. Yeah. And if the they've word, never read it, that's, all, that's they, all that they think it is. And not only that, but the word nigger, which we will use the N-word for the rest of this review. The, wor- the N-word is so common in this book that you would almost think that it was just as synonymous as the word black as the word african-american as any other word because it is that synonymous to them huck doesn't think about it he doesn't have a second thought about calling jim the Mm n-word he doesn't have a second thought about calling all of the black people he sees the n-word yeah he doesn't have a second thought about the fact that all of the people he comes into contact with call jim the n-word yeah it's it's just what it is it's just the definite you know that's what Jim is. He just the N word. That's just the definition of a, of Jim. It's like a learned thing. It's like a yeah. language learned thing where everyone around him just decides that Jim is not a person. Right. And it's a big deal. And it's a big deal to Twain. It's obviously a big deal to Twain. It's throwing it in your face. Twain's like, you're gonna read this. Yeah. You're gonna learn about racism, and you're gonna figure out why it's wrong. Yeah. That's that's what Twain. It seems like that's what Twain wants you to believe. Mm-hmm. And the movie leaves it out. It yeah. whitewashes it completely. It goes so far as to make you feel like it doesn't even realize there's racism in the book because at the end of the book, a slave owner says, just because racism is popular doesn't mean it's right. You're a slave owner. Right. You own slaves. Yeah, so you can't say that. Well, what point does that not connect in your brain it's almost as if disney completely misses the entire idea Mm -hmm. of racism in the book and just leaves it out i mean there is that the one scene at the grangerford's place where you see the well you don't actually see it happens off camera the the unnamed slave getting getting whipped and then that happens to jim later that day there is that and hug he recoils from that idea oh oh my gosh i caused this but that's really the only reference but it's not so much about racism or the fact that Jim's black is that it's Jim's my friend and I got right. him hurt. Yeah. Jim's my yeah, loosely so it, it based different. enemy friend and I got him hurt. <laughs> and it's 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 sad. It's sad to see that the movie didn't pick it up. But what's even more yeah. sad to me is the fact that people take this book and all they see is racism. Yeah, there they is don't it s- is an important issue, but there's way more to it. They don't see that Twain loved all parts of several lessons in this book and several Mm -hmm. themes they just see the racism and to me as controversial as it may seem that almost makes it worse than it would be if we were still that racist because it's still a form of racism if racism is all you see in a world like that that's all that's on your mind yeah yeah there's definitely we should be past a point where we can learn something more from a society like that where than racism. We should be past yeah. that point. Sure, I agree. And I, to me, that's one of Twain, I think that's one of Twain's little winks to us is you have to be able to look past all of that, say it's bad, it's terrible, but what else is there? Yeah. And, it, and I think the fact that some people can't do that is sad to me. I agree. But what do you think? Have we thoroughly made you mad? Is racism the only thing in the book? 
We really want to know what you think. Head over to theversusmachine.com, click the icon in the top right-hand corner of the page, fill up the quick contact form, and let us know what you think. Religion. Having not fully read this book before, I was slightly of the opinion that racism was the only real theme in the book. And it surprised me how often and to the extent to which Twain talked about religion. He wasn't really a big fan of it. He was definitely a humanist. And the the way that the reader sees religion through Huck's eyes is is very intriguing to me. And I, I would completely agree with that. I, I would go so far as to say that Twain probably, I mean, I, I don't know that much. I've never read a, a biography of Twain to know this. If you, if anyone out there knows, please contact us, either com or on Facebook and let us know, you know, anything about Twain. But I can't say for certain I know, but I, it seems to me that Twain wasn't a big fan of religion at all that no. I would say that he was almost vehemently against it because the way he displays religion in the book kind of makes it seem evil. It kind it, of makes it, is, it seem rooted evil. Yeah, his his at least the way that Huck experiences it, it's largely negative. I don't think we Especially encounter with the anyone. In, yeah, I don't think we encounter anyone in the story that makes you positively uh, the, the widow would be the closest, but even then she's got her issues as well. But she still believes in slavery because of her religion, so it's, right. it's still evil. Yeah. It's a learned behavior. It's almost like religion is viewed as a learned behavior as bad as racism. It seems like it's yeah. almost as bad as racism is a learned behavior. Yeah. There's there's two things that happen very significantly when Huck is with the, uh, the Grangerfords that happen at the church that the Grangerfords go to. They're the the large family that's having the huge feud with the Shepherdsons. And the church service that Huck attends at the Grangerfords church, the preacher speaks about brotherly love, which is something that the Grangerfords clearly lack because they're going out and shooting Shepherdsons just for the sport of it. Clearly brotherly love is something they don't have, so this the sermon's just, it's really lost, and it's a very ironic thing for the pastor to be preaching on. And he also mentions that Huck goes to the church at another time to deliver a, uh, or actually he's picking up the letter for the uh, the girl that loves one of the Shepherdsons. And when Huck goes there, there's no people, but there's a lot of pigs in the ch- in the church building because there's no lock on the door, and they just walk in, and you know it's cooler in there. And Huck says, if you notice, most folks don't go to church only when they've got to, but a hog is different. And he just leaves it at that. He doesn't really delve into that. Huck nor Twain delve into that, what he's driving at there. They just leave it at that. A hog is different. A hog I, will go to church when a hog dadgum feels like it, but a person, you got to drag him in there. As symbolistic, I think he's saying that people who go to church all the time are pigs. He's yeah, giving them that, a probably. kind of quality, a negative quality, saying that people who try to live religion are not exactly the nicest people. Mm-hmm. And being completely honest, people during that time period weren't the nicest people when they lived religion. We incorporated slavery and racism into religion. Something yeah, that there were definitely really, issues there. There were issues with religion in that mm-hmm. time period, and it made it seem terrible. And whether yeah. you like or hate religion, it definitely has a negative connotation and consider with the book. Yep. But the movie leaves it out completely. 
there is no religion in the movie. I don't yeah, I don't remember they, him ever referencing religion. I think he references it once when he says, I'm going to hell because I'm helping you escape. Does he actually even say that in the movie? I don't remember I hearing that. I think he that. says it once. Maybe. Mm-hmm. At best. And yep. that's the only... At best, we get that one reference. He doesn't go to the church for the sermon or to pick up the letter. He doesn't have any of these, like theological discussions with the with the the widow about you know okay well if if that's what i have to do to get to heaven i'm not really going to bother getting there so yeah the the movie doesn't really discuss that at all and that's that's a huge part of the book again another thing that's just completely missed and changes the tone of the movie nature versus nurture as we have mentioned huck refers to jim as the n-word just as if it's completely natural just like you would call a wall a wall that's just that's just what it is but he does that, I believe, only because he's actually raised that way. He kind of rebels against the idea a little bit because he does, while he's been raised to believe that black people are not fully human, he he doesn't seem to exactly accept that. He, he fights against that, especially the more time that he spends with Jim. The question you have to ask yourself, and I'm going to ask you the question, is it in our nature to be racist? Is it in our no. nature to hate other people no or is that something that we teach our kids our grandkids our children something that we've brought into today because that's what we've taught ourselves there are numerous stories of in during civil rights movement whatnot there's the little you know little white boys playing with little black boy and they they don't i mean they see each other like hey you look different okay, let's go play. They don't really care. It's not a big deal. It's not a natural thing. And then their parents, you know, the the white father drags the white boy away. You can't play with him. Well, why not? Because he's black. And their kid's like, so? What's the big deal? So, no, I do not believe that it is a natural thing at all. It's It's more than that. And this can break down into two things that we've discussed in several podcasts. Number one, this goes right back to the idea of the American dream, which we've talked about several times. Okay. But it's a different kind of American dream. Their nature and their nurture of American dream is slavery, racism, civilization, but Huck's is completely different. Yeah. Huck rebels against every single one of these things. And we've talked a lot about nature versus nurture and what people are raised to believe and how people are crafted we talked about the great gatsby before gatsby was was cultivated to believe that money and power were the only ways you could be happy right whereas you could get anything you wanted whereas huck is the exact opposite huck doesn't want either money nor power he doesn't care about he gives up his money at the very beginning of the novel yeah he gives it to the judge just so he simply doesn't have it anymore he's just keeping it away from his dad yeah it's very simple he gives it up like it's nothing huck does not care nope and that's another idea where nature versus nurture comes into effect and you have to ask yourself that simple question that is one of the things you have to ask yourself when you read this novel you have to ask yourself are we created to hate others or is that something we've cultivated over time because nature versus nurture and by association, the American dream is completely polar opposites in this novel. Mm-hmm. People have completely polar opposite ideas in those two. But we want to know what you think. Have we been harping on the American dream way too much lately? <laughs> Do you think nature or nurture is responsible for who we are? Are we programmed to hate? Head over to the versusmachine.com, click the button in the top right hand corner of the page, fill out the quick contact form. 
and let us know what you think. Honesty. We've talked about Huck lying, and we've talked about the Duke and the King lying. We've talked about Tom lying. Pretty much everybody in this book is lying all over the place. Huck even says at the very... Jim. Jim doesn't lie. Mm -hmm. Jim did not lie to Huck once the entire book. Oh, definitely not to Huck, that's for sure. Jim did not lie once to Huck the entire book. That's true. And... Even though it's assumed that Jim lied to some of the people they came into contact with, mm-hmm. it's never explicitly said. That's a big difference between yeah, the movie it, I think, between I think the right. movie and the book. In the movie, you explicitly see Jim lie. You see him manipulate Huck. Right. And you see him lie. In the mm-hmm. book, we never explicitly see Jim lie, ever. Mm-hmm. He it is almost assumed that he is a pure soul. Because we never see him lie. We never see him lie. We never see him hurt anyone. We never see him do anything wrong, except yeah, for run I, I away. Got, I, I run away. Right. Yeah, except for that. It's, oh, it's boy. It, run away. That's all he does. It's the one wrong thing, right? Well, I mean, he does. And look, he is with how Huck with things, some of the stealing, but not not really. Look how good things turn out for Jim in the end when he never lies. It's true. And look how good things turn out for Huck in the very end when he finally tells the truth. And look Honest. how well it turns out for the Duke and the King when all they have done is perpetually lie. Whether you believe that that uh, Twain was in favor of lying or against lying, <laughs> it almost seems like everything that happens in this book turns out better when somebody tells the truth. Right. Yeah, it is It is hard to get to understand what exactly Twain's ideas about lying are. He did actually write an essay called On the Decay of the Art of Lying, so that's it's really hard to tell what exactly he feels about it because they're while things go better for Huck when he tells the truth, nothing really bad happens when he lies. He never gets punished for it. I mean, he has to run away from people all the time and has all these escapades and whatnot, but he never exactly gets punished for it. He never gets fined, he never gets hurt directly for it, and he's I mean, for all the bad things he does, he kind of goes scot-free. I would completely agree with you. He goes scot-free, but more than going scot-free, I don't think Huck ever actually learns a lesson not to lie. Well, why should he? It worked out for him. I think if we talk about a lesson, I don't think he ever learns not to lie. I think he learns that lying will turn out okay because what happens in the end? Aunt Polly shows up and is like, oh, you boys. Yeah, slap on the wrist. Oh, you boys. Yeah. You know, it's it's one of those things where it never really seems to do anything. However, Disney makes lying seem terrible in the movie Mm -hmm. because every time he lies, he fails. He fails at lying every single time. Whether he gets out of it or not, he fails at lying every single time. Right, which is... And Huck in... Does change the the tone again. Yeah. Huck in the book doesn't fail. Oh, he's actually a very good liar. Yeah. The few times he does slip up, he forgets his name like three different times, and it, but it only comes back to bite him once. Mm-hmm. The other times he gets out of it mm-hmm. through, you know, cl- you know, silly little things. I bet you can't spell my name. And then when the guy spells it back properly, he's like, all right, my name's George Jackson when I'm here. You know, so it, it works out. Then again, given Disney's audience with this movie, it definitely makes sense that they would whitewash certain things, as you've said. And especially, no, we don't want to make lying look like a good thing to, you know, seven-year-old children. <laughs> so I I guess I, I know where they're getting at there, but 
I know why Disney did what they did, but I guess that sort of proves that maybe the story is not exactly appropriate for eight-year-old children. I mean, it's not about an eight-year-old kid, and it deals with very heavy issues like child abuse and racism and is religion does religion work? I mean, those are that's hard for an eight-year-old. That's hard for most adults to you know deal with, much less an eight-year-old. Childhood. We've we've mentioned before the in the story. Huck is 14. In the movie, he's 7 or 8. That, again, changes the tone drastically. But either way, you take a 14-year-old kid, put him on a raft with someone that they're, you know, they kind of know, with a, a runaway slave, a, in that time a criminal, you put him on a raft for four months. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, okay, his mom, I guess, is his dad. His dad is abusive, and that's why he runs away. He has dad, his dad ends up dying. Oh, his dad, dad well. ends up getting shot. Right. They find him on a raft. Right, but he Huck doesn't know that until the you know last paragraph of the book. Yeah. But it's just crazy to think that any fourteen year old could could withstand all of this. And not a, not to mention at the very end of the book, after he withstands all of it, he runs away again. Yeah. Or at the very least, he's planning on it. Yeah. Thinking about it. You mentioned Huck isn't. He's not a child. No, Huck's he's, not a child. He's 14, so I guess he, like, legally technically is. And Huck, with his naivete, he is kind of mentally a child, say, but he's not doing childish things. Yeah, I would say Huck stopped being a child in Tom Sawyer. Probably. I would say Huck wasn't even a child in Tom Sawyer. Huck comes from a broken family. He learned everything he knew from the school of hard knocks. <laughs> he pretty much lost all type of innocence in childhood, and then Twain further throws him on a raft with a runaway slave and he floats for three and a half, four months down a ra- down the Mississippi on a raft with a runaway slave. Yep. Huck's not a kid. Huck stopped mm. being a kid a long time ago. Right. Uh, and it's it's really telling to Twain's style and Twain's values that he took Huck's childhood away, because in a, in effect, you know, Twain did not come from a broken home, if I remember, but he was a very free range child he loved the he loved the river he loved steamboats he loved the idea of freedom and so i think in a way huck is what twain wanted to be in a certain extent he wanted to be free freedom it to huck is being away from everyone else Mm -hmm. not having to wear weird clothes go to school and just being able to do whatever you wanted he wore a straw hat and fished on the river with jim i mean that's that's what huck wanted to do yeah and so the idea that Twain kind of thrust him into this world is a loss of childhood. And I think that's one of the underlying reasons why this book was censored so many times is parents <laughs> were afraid of children picking up on this idea of losing their childhood mm-hmm. and, and running, running away. With it. Yeah, yeah, running with it. Because uh, let's be honest, Huckleberry Finn makes the entire idea of running away from life Seemed like a good idea. At the very it, least, it'll be fun. It works out for him. And the yeah. movie, again, misses the tonal, misses a complete tonal shift because the movie makes him seem like a child. He's seven or eight years old, uh-huh. and nothing that bad happens to him. They don't even discuss nope. the fact that he found his father dead on the river. Yeah, not too much. And so they completely miss that idea, and they completely miss the idea of stolen childhood. And we roll it into family values. 
There's a mm-hmm. loss of family values in almost every point in this book. Yeah, especially with Huck's family. His dad's abusing him constantly. And drunk. And drunk. And he he's mad that Huck learned to read and write. It's like, you think you're better than your dad now that you learned to read and write? It's like, no one ever said that. Like, what's your deal, man? Like, why are you so... He's also mad at Huck mad for hanging this. out with Jim. He's just mad at Huck for everything. And it's just, it's it's one of those things where it's it's really kind of telling to see this breakdown. The Shepherdsons and the Grangerfords. They oh, should yeah. be family. They have two people in their families that are in love. It's a Romeo and Juliet love story. The two of them are in love. They want to be together. So the family goes to war and tries to kill each other. And, well, does. It's a completely lo- it's a complete loss of family values. Mm-hmm. The Duke and the King, while it's never explicitly stated that they that they are somehow related or anything like that, no, they completely not. disrupt an entire family unit by pretending to be the brothers of someone that's dead and mm-hmm. stealing all of the family's money. True. Trying to, fortunately, they failed. But yeah. yes, there, yeah. there's a complete breakdown of family values in this book, and it starts from ch- from Huck's loss of childhood. It really does. It all stems from. It all starts from that point in the very beginning, and it ends up completely convoluting everything. Yeah, I think this. All, it also sort of asks the question: What is family? At the end of the book, Jim definitely considers Huck to be part of his family. At the very least, his very closest friend. So it also asks the question, what exactly is family? Lessons. Freedom versus civilization. We've talked about a lot uh, this idea that Huck wants to be free, mm-hmm. and Huck's idea of the American dream and of freedom is running away from civilization. I don't want to yep. wear the nice clothes. I don't want to go to school. Right. I don't want money. I just want to ru- ride on a raft down the river with a runaway slave. Yeah, fish, just chill out, you know, smoke a pipe, just... It's really kind of this, I guess, jarring moment for you when you figure that out. (laughs) When you figure out that Twain put a 14-year-old child on a raft with a black man, and he considers that his idea of freedom. But it begs the question... It begs the question, what is freedom? Are the civilized people more free because they have their civilization, they can do what they want with their money? Or is Huck more free? Because he's on a raft in the river, fishing, hunting. Doing what he wants. You know, smoking a pipe. Which is more free? It's is a... maybe Tom Sawyer the most free one? Because he does absolutely anything he wants. He has money. He has no money. He can do whatever he wants. Yeah. And I, I, I see that, and I can argue it. But I'm not really sure which one I'd choose. I'm not really <laughs> sure which one you'd consider more free. Because... Yeah. It's definitely something that Twain is trying to make you think about. It's definitely something that is there. And I it's something that the movie also doesn't pick up on because it's so apparent that it's there that it's it's a question that Twain wants you to ask. And I don't think that most people see it, and I definitely don't think that the movie saw it. No. But it's a big question for everyone out there. What do you guys think? Are you more free when you have money and civilization and thousands of cars? <sighs> Are you more free when you're in a raft with a runaway slave on the Mississippi River smoking a pipe and fishing? We want to know what you think. Head over to versusmachine.com, click that contact button in the top right-hand corner of the page, fill out that quick web form, and let us know what you think. The value of a person. 
Let me ask you before we even start. What is the value of a person? I want to hear your opinion. What is the value of a person? I mean, the monetary value or what they're just I, worth what to is society? A person, what is a person worth? One of my favorite lines in the book was, uh, and it was, didn't make it into the movie, was... When Jim sees that he's, you know, sees these wanted posters for himself and that the reward's eight hundred dollars, he's like, "I guess I got eight hundred dollars because I own me and I'm worth eight hundred dollars." No, that I know that's not exactly what you're asking, but that does. I think Jim does actually put more value in himself once he sees that. Once he sees that he's worth eight hundred dollars, like that's a lot of money. He's like, "I was thrilled to have, you know, to get five cents, eight hundred dollars, dang." You know, I'm rich. At the end of the book, when he gets $40, he's, you know, rejoicing at Huck. I've got $40. I'm rich. So that $800, I mean, that's that's a big thing. But, you know, is that the value of a human? That it is. Okay, so they would, you know, there's a reward for returning the slave of $800. Mm-hmm. What would the reward have been for returning Huck? Would there have been one? I think it's an important question. It's an important question, and it. I'll answer the question for myself. The value of a person is, not to sound cliche, but it's priceless. But you ask the question, what is the value of a person? You have to ask yourself that question when you read this book because you have two standards of the value of a person. The value of a person can be nothing because slaves aren't people. Right. Or it can be something because you're white and you are a person. Or... The value of a slave can be monetary because they're property. What mm. is the value of a person to you? Is it right? Is it wrong? Is it the right way or the wrong way to think about it? You have to ask yourself, what is the value of a person? And what is the value that Twain thought people had? Because obviously, you know, we've talked a lot about whitewashing. The movie doesn't really d- encroach the idea of what is the value of a person. But in the book, Huck spends almost half the time thinking, what is the value of a person? Yeah, mostly in connection with Jim. But yeah, he does spend a lot of time with that. He Wrestling with the issue, is Jim fully human? Is is Jim on the same level as He's white people? white inside of him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just those kinds of, of questions. Huck's, Huck is wrestling with this issue, and he, do, he comes to grips with it in regards to the, the Duke and the King. When he tells Jim, yeah, these guys are horrible people, but they're royalty. All royalty are, are terrible people. They do these kinds of things, just screwing with people endlessly. That's what they do, so we need to make allowances for them. And, I mean, Huck definitely puts value on, on human lives because he the feud between the Grangerfords and the Shepherdsons, any of those deaths are, are a huge deal to him, even of the people that he doesn't know, especially of Buck once he sees Buck is dead. That just that crushes him. Huck puts a great value on human life and even on Jim before he fully accepts Jim as being completely human. Peace between neighbors and family. I don't want to spend too much time on this because we've gone over the idea of loving people for people and we just went over the value of a person Mm -hmm. and the idea of having friends and neighbors and family. But Twain obviously was in favor of peace because no one who commits war in this book seems to turn out okay. Yeah, there's anybody who's, I'm just going to use the term attacking anyone else, it doesn't turn out well for them. For Huck's dad, um, for the Duke and the King, 
for the Shepherd sins and the and the Grangerfords, I mean, half of them end up dead. It's when, yeah. Uh, when the Duke strangles Huck almost immediately after that, they get found out. Right. I mean, the majority of the relationships in the book are not really very good ones. Between Huck and Jim, that's really the best one, and even that has some issues because Huck doesn't see Jim as a complete human, at least not for the majority of the book, but there's just so many different broken relationships. The book does, through negative examples, does advocate being at peace with those around you. And it's an important lesson. Yep. And I think it's the only lesson the movie got correct is that anyone who commits acts of violence ends up in a bad place. Yep. Because it's the only one I think the movie gets right. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's to Disney's credit, at least a little bit. It doesn't bring <laughs> them back out of the red, but it's no. still it's still to their credit that they understand that Twain obviously was in favor of a peaceful, free life. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to give credit where credit's due, and that's where it is. Yep. But even more than that, Peace is important to everyone out there. Yeah. You, you've got nothing if you can't have peace between your neighbors and your friends. Yeah. You, 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 and in your family. Yeah. That was also a big part of it. You, you have nothing. If you can't be peaceful and love each other, I don't know where you are. <laughs> Deception as an art form. <laughs> yeah, that other essay that Twain wrote that I mentioned earlier on the decay of the art of lying he definitely did see it as an art form and huck both tom and huck are very good at it and as are the duke and the king we've mentioned i don't really know how twain felt about lying i definitely think it's wrong but it is undeniably an art form if you're no good at it it's it's just gonna you'll be found out immediately and it's a waste of time but you know, I guess if you're gonna do it, you may as well do it well. <laughs> it's a little bit deeper than that for of course. me, and I'm not saying it's right or it's wrong. I mean, white lies have their place. I'm not gonna say they don't. White lies have their place. However, mm-hmm. Twain gives you this picture of lying that's different than a lot of authors, mm-hmm. and that is, whenever Huck lies, he's lying to further a good objective. It seems like yeah, he's lying to get him and his friends out of trouble. To get them he's, food. He's lying to get Jim and him food. Mm-hmm. He's lying to keep Jim safe. Yeah. He's lying to get rid of the king and the duke. <laughs> he's lying to do these things that further a better purpose. Right. And so it's almost in this in this way that Twain is advocating the idea of white lying. Yeah. And I'm he not. Do, it s- does seem to be that he is advocating that. And I'm not going to say that white lies don't have their place, but I'm not sure that I agree with it to the extent of Twain. Right. Yeah, definitely to the extent presented in the book. Because Twain almost makes it seem like lying's fine as long as there's a reason. Right. And that's that's a really strange thing to think. Right. Yeah, there's a big difference between the lies that Huck tells and the lies that Tom tells. Tom's doing it just to have fun. Huck's doing it to, as you said, for a good cause. I don't really think either of them are okay, but it does seem like Twain thinks the white lies are cool. Whitewashing. We've said a lot about whitewashing in the podcast, and to explain to you exactly what whitewashing is, it's the idea of taking something that has a lot of depth and a lot of controversy, negative connotations, and taking them all out. 
you're taking all of the bad stuff out and trying to make something seem better than it is. Yeah, making it easier to swallow. A lot of people have accused Disney of whitewashing everything, but Disney's <laughs> not the only one. We've had several podcasts, which you can all listen to at theversusmachine.com, where we've talked about the ways that adaptations take out negative things and try to make them sound better. Whitewashing is a commonplace practice. And you've heard me on my soapbox tell you that it's wrong. And I'm still going to tell you that it's wrong here. <laughs> we cannot protect everyone from everything we deem to be bad. Mm -hmm. It's not a good idea. It's a terrible idea. Yeah. You're taking out all the lessons. You're taking out all the discovery of life by whitewashing everything in the middle. Right. I don't want to give... Uh, you know, when you're when a relative dies and your 14 year old asks you about death, you don't say they went to sleep for a long time and we buried them in the ground. Yeah, that that's weird. It's weird. It's weird to whitewash things for people because it's also a kind of lying. Yeah, um, and we just got through saying that lying isn't a good thing. And if you, yeah. I'm sure most of you agree out there, lying isn't a good thing. We shouldn't lie to people, yeah. and we can't whitewash the world away because the world is there. Right. And if you're going to discuss certain issues, honestly, through through books, it's a very safe way to do it because you can see the issue of racism without being the subject of it. So there's no point to whitewash these things because you're going to encounter these issues with racism and religion and family. So you may as well experience it and be able to talk about it through the medium of, of these stories. That's half the reason they're written anyway. So you whitewash it, there's no point anymore. It's just like, it. it's not like Twain wrote a part in the book that you would had to represent in the movie where Huck looks directly into the camera, says, you're all N-words, and points. There's nothing in there that is that bad that we need to take it out. Right. Nothing. Trust is a two-edged sword. I think through our discussion of this, this was one of the most interesting things that we kind of stumbled upon, I'm going to say. There's so much lying that happens in this book, and there is, there's even more trusting. There's people who, that trust the liars, and there's people who trust those who are telling the truth. The Wilkes are probably the biggest example of this because they almost implicitly trust the Duke and the King, who were lying with everything they say. But they also trust... Uh, it's Mary Jane, the oldest one, who trusts uh, Huck when he does finally tell her the truth. So it's just interesting the troubles that, that trust gets the characters in the book into. Because they, they trust the wrong people and it gets them into trouble. They trust the right people and it gets them out of the trouble. I think that this is a good place for one of our last areas of conversation because trust is a two-edged sword in this in this book trust is a two-edged sword in life yeah you see continuously people trusting jim trusts huck not to turn him in mm -hmm. even though huck, huck was going to huck completely uh, uh plans to turn him in he was going to take him to the town yeah and turn him in and let him go back yeah but jim still trusts him and Huck eventually earns his trust. Right. Uh, but even so, sometimes when you trust, it doesn't turn out well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the play that the King and the Duke put on, the royal nonsuch, the people of that town trusted the King and the Duke to put mm -hmm. on a play, when in reality all they were doing was stealing all their money and running away. Right. And then all the people duped the, the rest of the townsfolk. 
so that the original viewers of the Royal Nonsuch wouldn't feel like idiots. Yeah. So there's so there's more lying going on. And so trust is this kind of two-edged sword in this book because in some ways you get a good way that you get the edge of the sword. You get the good edge of the sword where mm-hmm. something good happens. Yeah. Or you get the bad edge of the sword where something bad happens. You have your whole inheritance stolen from you almost. And in life, we want to impart on, on everyone that in life it's like yeah. that too. You need to be careful who you trust. You have to be careful who you trust, but we want to make sure that you understand you have to trust some people. Yeah. You can't be closed off in life and not trust anyone. You can't be closed off in life and miss all the experiences of life because you're too afraid to trust someone because you think they're going to do you wrong. Yeah. Trust is a two-edged sword. It has been. It always will be. Richard and I have been friends for over 20 years now, and I would say that we trust each other fairly well. But that doesn't mean anything if I can't trust that Richard's going to do me right at least some of the time. (laughs) People inherently want companionship. That's a a nature versus nurture again. That's nature of our lives. We, We want companionship, so we need to trust each other in order to get companionship. It's going to unravel society if we all start running around pointing fingers at each other and saying that we're all going to hurt each other. Yeah, and if you don't trust anybody. And I think that's what makes this story so iconic in a way, not just the racism, but the idea of you can earn somebody's trust even if originally you're not earning it. Yeah. Huck didn't originally earn Jim's trust because he was going to turn him in. Right. Jim trusted him anyway, even though he shouldn't have at that point but eventually huck earned jim's trust Mm -hmm. and i think we need to reach out and give other people the chance to earn our trust and i think that's also part of twain's message is to reach out to people and give them the chance to do right by you and that does it for us here at the versus machine podcast we've run these two items through pretty well huh richard i think so and we do want to mention that while the movie doesn't seem to get any of the points of the book if you have kids that are really young, they may enjoy the movie. So yeah. there is something to be said for having having a movie that is enjoyable. Yeah. So there is that. But we want to make sure that you know to take away all of what we said here and let us know what you think by heading over to versusmachine.com, clicking that contact button in the right, right top-hand corner of the page, filling out the web form, and letting us know what you think because we always want your feedback. I'm Joseph Burge. I'm Richard Gibson. And that does it for this edition of the Versus Machine Podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Versus Machine Podcast on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Be sure to like us on Facebook and share your thoughts on this and other episodes inside our online archive of programs that span a wide variety of genres. It's all about comparison, and we want to know what you think. The links to do all of this and show notes for this episode are available at versusmachinepodcast.com. That's versusmachinepodcast.com. Thank you for listening and provide us with your thoughts and contrasting opinions to keep the gears of the Versus Machine running. Power down. Power down.